creating cosmos out of chaos. What's your favorite place that you've ever traveled to? Like, do you have a specific country that's Prague. Like, Prague, really? Oh, wow. Why is that? I love the people so much. It's ridiculous. That city is mm-hmm. has got so many layers of mystery and magic to it. And wow. My safe space is in this orchard that's right underneath the abbey there in the old town of Prague. Wow. Yeah. How does the energy feel for you there? Well, it's a very silver energy. It's like feminine and silver. Um, Why do you think that is? Mostly because of the completely magic river that flows right through the city. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I mean, that was the center of Bohemia, right? It was Mm -hmm. the capital of Bohemia. And there was a a king once who fell in love with alchemy. And what he decided to do is, is vow to bring every great alchemist that was alive at that time to the city. So it became like the center of alchemy. So the entire area underneath that main castle there was a home for alchemists to work on their stuff. Huh. And let's just say they ripped a hole in the fabric of the time-space reality in that city. <laughs> it is it yeah. is magic. Like, absolutely magic. Is, and mystical. is that why I love people from <clears throat> Czech, Republic. Czech Republic so much? Honestly. The Czech people are absolutely magic. They're, because they hold that frequency? Yeah. Yep. yeah. That makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And finally, I have a reason because I was always just like, it must just be a thing. Well, we thought, you know, it was their work ethic, right? Like the Eastern European work ethic. But when you're talking more on the energetic side. Well, on the energetic side, these, yeah. are the, these are the people that are the surviving Bohemians. Wow. It's very fitting for us. It is. Why we're attracted to them with the boho beautiful aspect. Yeah. The Bohemian. I mean, the Bohemian culture. The I mean, I guess... The culture of the eclectic and, and artisan side of it has always been sort of something that we've been obviously uh, magnetized towards. Yeah. But it's interesting to see that there's a, um, a frequency from the alchemy. Yeah. Like, because I find alchemy is an incredibly attractive idea. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, I mean, other than reading The Alchemist, which was actually one of the most pivotal books, I think, for both of us mm-hmm. in a way, like from Paul Coelho. Have you read that book before? No. No. Really oh, my goodness. So it... it Honestly, I think it helped us change our perception of the reality we were living in at the time in our life and realize that we can turn it into anything we want. That if, was the ultimate truth of alchemy. Yeah, right? That's it, what my tattoo means. Which tattoo is this it? Oh, oh, wow. So this is the seal of alchemy. This in the center is the void, that which is nothingness. Activated by thought and purified by universal energy equals manifestation. So the reason that you see the same shape on the inside and outside means that which is everythingness is that which is nothingness. Ultimately, this seal held the truth, which now to those of us in the spiritual field sounds like, okay, we know that we're kind of practicing that. But back in the day, the idea that mind creates reality was absolutely brand new. And when alchemists stumbled upon the fact that the mind creates reality, they wanted to guard that truth beyond measure. (laughs) Why do you think they wanted to guard it? Because in the wrong hands, what does the world become? Right. Mm, That's... That's quite that's quite profound. Mm-hmm. So I noticed there's a scar in the center of it. Did the scar come before the tattoo or yeah. after? Before. So did you place it upon the scar for a symbolic reason? Yes. That scar was made by my abuser. Oh my god. All of most of my um, major tattoos are over scars that were created during my childhood abuse. Really? And do you find that it, there's a process? I find tattoos are a really beautiful process because it's so much of it like a personal initia- initiation and a yeah. declaration in, in sort of the timeline of your life. Exactly. So do you feel that like... Yes, my tattoos are a roadmap of developmental stages. Mine too. That's what I find tattoos should be as well, right? It's like little roadmaps. I mean, every single tattoo that I have also has a deep meaning for everything. 
And every time you see it, it's actually one of the reasons why most of my tattoos are on my arms and hands is because I feel like there's a reason I need to see it, no. you know? But, wow. A, a tattoo I can't see, I don't have one yet. Yeah. Because I, I need that to remind me of the journey that I've gone through. I find that it's like the, one of the most grounding things that I can do to like to place that visual like emotional reminder of like what have I been through and and what does that mean to me and where am I now Um, so when you were getting these tattoos over the scars or around the area of these scars that were created by something so traumatic in your life do you find that that process helped you close yeah that traumatic (laughs) yeah it created a closure exactly hmm but the closure wasn't just okay. I'm going to tattoo and no, call no, it a no. day, right? Like no, it was basically a way to mark a much deeper inner process. Mm-hmm. Wow! And the alchemy symbol is such a beautiful thing to put over a scar like that. Like, because yeah. in a way, I mean, I don't, I don't know your journey yet, obviously as well as 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 well as I'd love to, and that's why I'm so excited to be sitting down here today. Um, but I think what I've seen you create out of where you came from to where you are, that's one of the most ultimate testaments, I think, in the proof of alchemy and and to be able to take darkness and turn it into light. Yeah. Um, Or just as a symbol of the fact that you can heal these traumatic experiences, right? And that there is a way out. There is a light at the end of that dark tunnel. And I believe that there's so many people I'm sure that are listening and watching this right now, they might be in a place in their life where they feel like they're in that darkness. And sometimes it's really hard to even think of the idea that there's a possible way out. And what is so special of what you do and the teachings and everything that you've offered to the world this far is that you are a pure example of the fact that there is a way out. And there is a way to to get through it and to heal and to close those doors and start a new life. Yes. What do you say to somebody who's in a position where they're in that place and you've been in that place and to help them understand that there's a way? It depends how it depends where they are in that process. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. If somebody is really, really stuck in it, you're starting at absolute ground level. Yeah. I wouldn't start with hope. I'd start with relief. Hope's, I, a, yeah. hope's an interesting word. Hope I've, is something that can cause a massive amounts of pain for somebody who's for in sure. pain. So, yeah, I would start with relief. Um, for me, when I was at the darkest, it was recognizing that emotionally I'm feeling different based on what I'm focused on. Right. I mean, you almost need to start with techniques that work for somebody who's in captivity, you know? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and those are different techniques than, than we would use for somebody who genuinely has control over their environment mm-hmm. right don't forget if you are enjoying this episode right now it would mean the world to us if you could support the stars and destruct team and podcast by clicking the subscribe follow and like button now back to the episode so this is where i find myself sort of hogtied because you know i'm somebody who speaks about how important it is for people to get in touch with their deepest needs mm-hmm. and their deepest desires and that in that context you'll find your purpose so there are definitely people whose purpose is to figure out this interstellar universe that we're in and how to go there, right? But we also have to look at the collective prioritization, not just an individual's prioritization. When we as a collective species honestly prioritize a journey into space over the thriving of not only our species, but the other species on Earth, I've got issues there. Mm-hmm. It represents a disconnection. So. Mm-hmm. It's a deep duality in that. Like trying to wrap your head around 
how to how to feel about these things because I think I, I I reflect with that really like truthfully as well because I I think it's fascinating I think it's imperative that some people's purpose is exactly that like getting into space advancing that side of of us and our reach as a as a collective body but at the same time there's children working in mines to make our cell phones in Africa mm -hmm. and it's, people are dying of starvation they in, can't in all countries yeah, don't have clean water like all of those things mm -hmm. right and we're yeah. investing so much money and resources on leaving the planet rather than actually taking care of mm. all the inhibitants here exactly yeah so you're saying that you think world war three is coming yeah um i think that's very timely at this point because i think it's probably the most underspoken um and astounding thing going on in the collective consciousness now is that people are actually like having conversations about whether or not nukes are on their way. Mm -hmm. I question sometimes whether the, the Third World War will be different than the wars of the past. Yeah? Why is that? Because wars are fought differently depending on what weapons we use. And, they, you know, these these things that cause physical destruction are not the only forms of weaponry now. Mm. You could disconnect from people far enough to sort of do zoom out and take this objective perspective and be like, you know what, we need to be not attached to whether humanity survives or not. That's a, a, a genuine argument that is made in this in the spiritual field. It mm -hmm. has been for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Because there is an identification we have with humanity. I mean, all of us arrive at the basic assumption, humans should live. But I'm telling you that like at, at these higher levels, there's a big question around that. So you could, I mean, you could zoom out and be like, well, you know, maybe we just need to be not attached to whether or not we as a species are here anymore. And I, the problem is, is I'm, I'm one of these like dolphin lovers, you see, so <laughs> I'm kind of like, well, I really don't want to see the destruction of mankind. So here I am looking at the life paths for people on earth as a collective, watching things get darker and darker. And and it, and then that tipping point where in all three life paths for humanity, this this massive third war shows up, and I'm like, ah, 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 ah. that was not what I wanted to sign up for. I wanted to sign up for people to choose the opposite. Yeah. So I had to, you know, in 2015, I had to essentially say, what am I going to do with this? So I mean, people have decided. It's the same as like one of your one of your friends deciding, I'm getting into this other relationship. Mm -hmm. You're like, dude, it's the same. It's the same thing. I got to. I just feel it in my soul. And you're like, oh, my gosh, it's going to be a train wreck. Do I want to sign up for the train wreck? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I decided, yeah, I, like my commitment is not as not as conditional mm -hmm. as people surviving or not surviving. It's not as conditional as people choosing awakening or not. Is that that's how you got out of your collapse? Yeah. By accepting that the fate of it. Is that when you went and traveled? to understand the, what was ultimately going to be the historic yeah, that was, path forward? Yeah, that was part of what I was looking at. I, right. You know, and I wanted, I wanted to understand what the history book said about whether there would be this massive war, and for sure it's there. Right. The ironic thing is, is that the history books of the future say that it started with the collapse of the World Trade Centers. No, really? Yeah, so like we're, I mean, we've been in it for a long, 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 long time. I mean, if you look at the countries that have been infected, like Syria and the Middle East, they have been at war since that time right well, there's been 
we just never hear about it. They don't the, report it in the in the mainstream media, but there are bombs continuing to be dropped on Syria. Children and people die, innocent people dying. You know what I mean? Of course. Like, it has been. Since it's been that historically, time. actually, from long before then. But I think it's been exacerbated by the yeah. World Trade Centers for sure. That's an interesting thing because they were able to use that as a like the American imperialism was able to use that as a catalyst to implement all kinds of stuff in their own country and then also abroad under well, the. Well, that is seen as the the beginning day. Really, eh? So do you see this as this dark force, dark energy that is really descending? Like you see what's happening right now, even with Ukraine and Russia and, and the corruption and, and how the amount of people that are dying and being affected by it based on this higher level agenda, whatever they have. Like to me, I, I feel like, oh, my God, this is like some weird darkness. What do you like, see? What do you see with that? Oh, it's, it's a seed that's within each person. Huh. It's very much instead of it feeling like it's coming from the outside, and it very much seems like this weed that is growing inside mm-hmm. each person. To hmm. me, which is why you see my focus being what it is: going to the root, getting going yeah, to the root, and getting people root. to recognize this within themselves. Everything that we look at and we judge as dark and evil has its roots in basic human needs, in the manipulative ways we go about meeting them. Hmm. And you think that this is just growing. What What is it that allows it to grow inside the collective humanity? The fact that our attention is not on it. <laughs> like if a weed grows and your attention isn't on it. But there's also this sort of um, numbing that I find also is happening. Like you see um, how people's attention is just drawn. Like there, there's so many terrible things. There's wars. There's people dying. There's so many issues on the planetary level, but everyone is more focused on just putting their attention on, you know, the, the social media, like TikToks and, and the idolization of, of celebrities and, and famous people and like... Which is about needs. We should talk about that one. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> what is, what is up what is with that? that? Where like, does that need come yeah. from? What, is, what, do you, what do you make of the... That Which new... one? Which one are we talking about? Oh my goodness. The cultural shift towards... Let's start the with numbing the... numbing and the idolization of... A famous celebrities and these fame for fame's sake, which, by the way, has been shown to be one of the greatest drives in children right now that are in middle school age is fame for fame's sake. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Define fame for fame's sake. It means fame, fame that does not serve a purpose other than the mm. ultimate aim, which is I have fame. Right. Yeah. I mean, that I think it it is definitely running rampant right now. And it's interesting to hear you say the middle school thing, but I think... Even when people were like when I was younger, it was it was had already permeated into society in a way that it was like people wanted to be actors because they wanted to be famous, not because they wanted to express something or people wanted to be involved in the art of it. It's more about, yeah, just being in the spotlight or having the most followers. And and it's like this this place from the ego that it it comes through. Right. Where does. Yeah. Where does this fame from fame's sake come from? There's no escaping this (laughs) fame for fame's sake. Is it? It's about needs. If I, I swear this whole conversation is going to stem down to this. Really? Basic needs are at the heart of absolutely everything. Everything. The movements you see within society today, this need for fame for fame's sake. Mm-hmm. Embedded in all of these obsessions and these cultural trends are basic human needs. They need to be seen. They need to be valued. They need to be able to bring about what one wants. That's the power. Power is really ultimately just power for manifestation. When we say this person has power, it means that they can, they have the capacity to bring about what they want. That's it. That's a basic human need. Yeah. Recognition. Significance. 
they want to be able to live the life that a celebrity gets to live. Mm-hmm. You see? So it's just needs. It's people have recognized a venue through which to meet their most basic needs, and many of them at once. That's not to say that they understand what the reality is there, but that is the picture that is painted. And that, that is a, a something that I think about on a daily basis, because we are setting that image in people's heads. We're we, doing that. By this? Yeah. Right. Yes, I can tell you why. Because the people who are watching this, there are many people who have a nine-to-five job. They would mm-hmm. rather be having this kind of a conversation. What they want to bring about is sitting in a fancy room. What they want to bring about is being able to have these types of conversations where they're connecting with each other instead of mm-hmm. making people their macchiatos. Right. So what we're selling them is the idea that that's our life right now. They, they have no idea what's gone into setting this room up. <laughs> Nor do we show them. Any more than, than somebody who's you know, famous in Hollywood shows, shows them what your life looks like when you can't even leave the front gate of your house and you can't trust any human relationships because everybody wants something. And, and, and you see, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, a, a human being sees something that represents their basic needs and then they aim themselves directly at it. Even if they don't truly understand what they're aiming at. Yeah. And social media has made this 10 times worse because we're selling overlays and we're not even doing it intentionally. It's, I mean, some of us are like, I need people to see that I'm successful. I need people to mm-hmm. see that I'm feeling good no matter what. But, I, you know, I'm even thinking about people who are part of this authenticity movement, myself. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've been bawling, crying on the floor, being like, I hate my life. I'm really doubting my career right now. Yeah. And I'm like, Does, okay, so here's a moment. Here's the opportunity. Do I want to show people this? And? It doesn't feel right still. It's mm-hmm. it's like it does it's not like, oh, this is the moment to be like <laughs> And some people do that. I, I've seen actually on social media they'll take photos of themselves crying to but like then, try and show But then the idea is but are they doing like, that because it's the exactly. the psyop of themselves yeah, to, yeah, to, to show. still get that gratification. Like, yeah, it's exactly. good job. Like you're you're showing your realness, you know. Exactly. So, so it's you, like I mean I <laughs> So how do you navigate yeah. that? I mean, you're in a space and so are we where I think we do our best to try to portray ourselves the, ourselves yeah the thing that i find is fascinating when you talk about this room is the second we turn these cameras on we are fighting an urge of like to embody an identity that we think we're supposed to be versus the truth of what we actually are yeah. and i think that's one of the reasons we embarked upon this podcast yeah. is because that is a challenge i'm up for because yeah. it's crazy well, it's think, a crazy thing we press record yeah. <laughs> and you're just like be yourself but there's everything in the world telling you that you should be something else I think also when you have a specific image right like for ourselves we come from a place where we've built a business and a career on being yogis and, yep. and bringing yoga and meditation and like this oh. just calm beautiful lifestyle of being in nature and, and again like you're saying people don't actually understand how much work and how hard it is to do what we do but people all of a sudden have this perception of this is who you are yeah and then you sit in front of a microphone and you're just having a regular conversation and you're sharing things that, you know, maybe some people all of a sudden like, wow, I didn't know you had this kind of view on this topic, you yeah. know, because they all of a sudden don't know you personally. They just know you as this yoga teacher. Or that teacher. you're not perfect. Or, or that, that, that you're, you're not, not you're you're, human You just don't meet whatever yeah. that is, that image. Yeah. So in, I mean, because you do that incredibly well. Mm-hmm. To, and I've heard you say to a fault, like I've heard you say that I sometimes I'm so authentic that it hurts the arc of whatever most people would say is a successful path that you should be aiming for. Yep. Why do you value the, the expression or the pursuit of the expression of your authentic self over the pursuit of reinforcing that which people believe 
they you should be for them. Because I believe that if I sit here giving people the image of the spiritually transcendent being that they expect, that they will disown aspects of themselves that by the disowning of them make them more sick. <laughs> this is the profound illness that has been created by spiritual teachers, and not even intentionally. It became intentional. But it's like a self-fulfilling loop. People reject in, in their leaders and their teachers certain things, and then in order to be taken seriously, you can't show them those aspects because they will throw out the baby with the bathwater. But then at the same time, if you embody that level of perfection, that's what they expect of themselves. Mm. And so they reject everything that is central to them themselves. Instincts, feelings, needs, especially if they're wrong, but they mm. don't go anywhere. So now the shadow can run rampant on the earth. Mm. So I'm seeing this as like an illness within mankind and not really wanting to perpetuate it. Oftentimes to my own demise. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I could see that. I understand. And, it, and it, it's an illness. Mm -hmm. It is. The idea of, I mean, it comes back to social media, the front. Like everybody we talk about it being like, it's like this weird American marketing, mar marketing of being like, I'm going to market myself as the perfect thing. But you know, everyone knows that what we see on social media, on our friends' accounts, is only a highlight reel yeah. rather than the truth of what it means to actually be a human being, which is ugly and messy and beautiful all at the same time. <laughs> if only we knew that in our darkest moments, right? Because yeah. mm. when you're having a bad day, you're looking at your friends' reel being like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but that also kind of goes like something that you said about, you know, when you look at spiritual teachers and gurus, yeah. and that's something that I've always struggled myself personally is this idea of guruism and it, it happens a lot in yoga right people oh, find this oh. like what guru did you study under who is your guru who do you follow and it's like well why do i have to be bowing to another human being in order to fulfill my self-worth and, and find my own truth and my purpose in life and it's difficult because that's kind of almost like it's part of your resume. It's like, again, as I said, in the yoga community, especially, it's oh, like, hell oh, yeah. oh yeah. you didn't train under this person. Well, I trained under this person in India and this old man in India was my guru, you know, and it's like, <laughs> wow, okay, so we're, we're kind of putting our ego again based on like, I'm better than you because I trained with so-and-so. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> but I don't have a guru. I don't. Like to me, I have many teachers that I find so much value from and I will I love listening to them and, and reading their books but it's not like I'm not going to come to you you know what I am a guru like guru my guru Ram Das, and this is I am his follower and I bow to his feet and this is what I do I, I've never I've always felt awkward and weird doing that and I'm assuming you're probably very similar like I don't foresee you having anybody like that in your life but is there anyone that's influenced you in a way to... to everyone I meet influences me. Right. Everyone. I think that's to be the, to be a present student mm -hmm. in life. I find it fascinating to think that someone can put themselves on a pedestal to say that I'm the all knower. I mean, we have, a, we talk about this a lot and I think we've said on other podcasts, but like we have a hard time calling ourselves yoga teachers even sometimes because I feel like we're more disciples of yoga. Yeah. Learning every day and from every interaction, whether it be with you here or somebody I'm buying a coffee from, something or just a slight exchange or a con the content we re like we look at and we consume, like every little thing expands consciousness and awareness and grows the seed that we're all nurturing inside ourselves. So I think guruism is a really interesting thing because you, 
you see it also throughout history with a lot of gurus. They get captured by the idea of what people think they are. Um, how do you preserve teal? Because I know that there's a lot of people that put you on this pedestal. Um, how do you make well, sure? I, I see the pedestal is different than respecting the hierarchy of knowledge, and that's something that's dying today. Right. Especially in the generation that we're working with that's mm -hmm. coming into power right now. They're essentially destroying hierarchical structures, vying for equality, but really they don't, they don't believe that all people are equally equal. Right. So it's a lie. <laughs> but um, yeah, right now there's a real calling because of the wounding around authority figures and the wounding around hierarchy. There's a huge calling on behalf of this new generation for there to be no hierarchy. And, and that coupled with what's happened with um, the internet, mm -hmm. meaning we have so much access to knowledge. Hierarchy of knowledge is something that should exist and does not anymore. There are many spiritual teachers that are quitting right now because of this. Right. And why do you think? Because there's no more respect whatsoever. I want you to imagine that you dedicate every ounce of your life, every waking minute to the study of something. Mm -hmm. And then Jane from next door can look at you in the face and say, we all have an opinion. We're all epidemiologists these days. But that also comes in, in social media. Like you look at YouTube, for example, right? Like so much of your work is on YouTube and, and we do videos on YouTube as well. And it's, you, you know, you, you express yourself and, and you share this wisdom. And like you're saying, people find the safety to go behind the screen of their computer and to voice their opinion on this. Well, it's interesting. The challenging that, of authority you know? in that is, yeah. is fascinating. Like we went um, to uh, live in a monastery and study Buddhism. Um, and so we, we went to Nepal and we stayed in the monastery yeah. and we basically spent all day meditating and listening and yeah. learning. And anytime there's a question and answer period, there's a hundred people in this thing. So anytime there's a question and answer period, it became a shooting gallery to who can put the bullet through Buddhism yeah. to the teacher that yeah. is, has mm -hmm. been spending their entire life on it. Yeah. And I found it incredibly disheartening and disgusting in so many ways <laughs> because You've spent literally four days in a monastery, and now you think that what you've processed in this amount of time, you've had your guard so up that you now you're going to try to take a leg out of yep. out of a teaching that's, I don't know, thousands of years old. Mm -hmm. And I'm not to say that it's right and we shouldn't be challenging authority structures and ideas and knowledge, but to do it with the intent of proving, proving what you're saying, wrong, yeah. the absence of hierarchy of knowledge is an interesting thing because I... I I, it, it really bothers me because it's the challenge for challenge sake. I love challenging authority all day long. I think it's amazing and I think it's something that we all have to do, critically think and come to our own conclusions. But there's also something to be said, like you said, like imagine you spend every day of your life. There's also a deep respect that yep. you have to have for somebody that has. Exactly. So how do you deal with it, Teal? Because to take it back to like in the beginning, you've gone through so much this trauma and you've done the work and now you're here to help others find their path and their way through the darkness. How do you deal with the fact when people come on these YouTube videos and say, well, I think this is this and this? It frustrates me immensely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't deal with it. I don't read the comments intentionally. I stopped doing that years ago because it's the surefire way to destroy your life. Mm -hmm. When I met with genuine challenges, I use that to become more aware of whether or not I want to change something or whether I am even more committed to whatever it is that I'm currently doing. It's a process of self-awareness? Yes. I use it as a process of self-awareness. It's beautiful. Yep. I think we do the same thing. 
I stop yeah. reading comments. Too. Well, yeah, yeah. The I comments. Just, I don't think it's it's <laughs> it's not healthy. <laughs> well, it's it's also because you know and you know you get so much love from people, for example, and people thanking you, but then it'll be that one comment that slips in, and it like it sits in your brain, and you start to doubt yourself, you start to question yourself, and all of these things, and it's just like this little drop of poison that comes into your mind. Mm -hmm. You Poison can feel the, the difference between when people want to give you feedback and it feels like it's for you and when mm -hmm. people want to give you feedback and it's a direct attack. Is it got a very different frequency? For sure. I, I actually really like it when people give me feedback that's for me mm -hmm. when uh, it's negative too. No, it's, it's true. I, we've received even feedback already. We just launched this podcast this week, but I've written back to people on our Instagram account and on YouTube as well to be like, like thank you. So you're yeah. still being brave then. Well... Juliana's not allowed to read the comments. I go in there. I, I'm a little more sensitive. I no, think. I, go in. I think yeah. for me, it's yeah. a process of also for, uh, fortitude. Like, uh -huh. I, I, I can still take a bullet in the heart, yeah. and it can affect my week if yeah. it's the wrong thing. So I know I'm playing with fire, <laughs> but I also know that I need to be strong yeah. to not hide from it, so that I can be more resilient when I'm facing it. And I lose the battle as much as I win. But I also know that it's a fire I want to walk through for my own resilience. But when that hit of that bullet happens, and I'm sure it has happened to you in the past, what have you done to help yourself clear that energy? Because it is energy that someone puts on you, right? Yeah, but it, if it lands like that, when when you're talking about those real triggers, where yeah. you're just, I mean, it almost feels like you're sort of heated up from the inside with this mess of emotions. Mm -hmm. It always means they've hit something that was already there. Mm. So I will do a somatic meditation with it. Right. I go upstairs, I sit down in my little chair, and I sit with the emotion, and I listen to whatever it's yelling at me. Like Usually it's about some deeper need or some deeper wound, and it's some insecurity that I would never, without having sat there, really been able to put my focus on. Mm. And when I understand that vulnerability, it's easier for me to answer to it or to engage in what we were describing before, which is a consciousness exercise about, all right, Teal, this has been the feedback. Mm -hmm. We get to look at whether this is really true about mm -hmm. us. Is it? Not like just trying to automatically shoot it out of the window. Not like, oh, well, I, I would like to think that I'm an amazing person, so I'm just going to fight their truth. No. It's it's like once I've caretaken that, that vulnerable feeling, I'm like, okay, so let's look at let's look at it. Let's say I'm getting accused of being narcissistic. Let's look at the whether I am. What about me is this way? Mm-hmm. What about me isn't this way? It's like a real sort of objective evaluation process. And then relative to each point, where what do I actually feel about me being this way? Is this something that I want to maintain? Because you can make a conscious choice to be any way you want, you know. Mm -hmm. And and oftentimes when you're in certain positions, you have to. Yeah. I mean, there was a, there was a really interesting documentary that was done on Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I just absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved that documentary because... Was it the series? Yeah. What was it called? You guys, the there was a seven-part series. Of yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was a. Come on. What was it called? Thank you. The... There was. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. yeah there, so there was a documentary yeah. that was done called "The Last Dance" on Michael Jordan that I thought was absolutely amazing because there's this part where you essentially saw it reflected from all the people on the team, like he was a total asshole, mm -hmm. and he actually got emotional about the fact, right? But let's say you're getting that reflect reflection. That's let's say that's what people are saying. And it's creating that emotional reaction to me. That's this opportunity to be like, well, let me look at my relationship to this. Like genuinely, do I yell at people? Yes or no? People perceive that to be, you know, 
not nice. Maybe I would I would drill down on like what it is specifically because yeah. that's like a label. People are like, you're an asshole. Okay, well, what exactly is the behavior? Yeah. Okay, so like, let's mm-hmm. say they're able to isolate it. Then you look at your relationship to that thing. Let's say people are like, well, you yell at people even when they're feeling bad. Okay, well, let's look at my relationship to yelling at people even when they're feeling bad. Do I want to be this way? Mm-hmm. Do I not want to be this way? Also, the philosophical examination of that because it's easy for us, especially with our cultural programming to be like that's always a wrong is it is the question <laughs> so it's it's almost like this invitation to dive as deep as you can so that when you come out of it it's even it's no longer this weak point mm-hmm. right and then maybe the exercise is okay i'm actually actively trying to change this about myself and that's your new practice or it's i'm actually going to stand by it mm-hmm. and so if i get confronted with this again i'm going to look at somebody in the face and be like and this is why i do it and this is why it's staying. It's like they shine a flashlight on a unconscious behavior. Yeah. You bring yeah. it into consciousness and decide then consciously yes. what you want to do with it. Yes. I think that's honestly... That's really powerful. That's yeah. an incredibly yeah. powerful technique to deal with not just... I don't like the word criticism, but to deal with someone else's perception yep. of your behavior. And yep. I think if it was adopted by more people, I think the world would be a much, much better place. The Michael Jordan aspect of that is really interesting, I find, because... They were also the winningest team in basketball history. See, that's what I loved about it. Right? That's what I loved about it because so many people are watching that, you know, with their cultural programming, mm-hmm. watching him and the way he's behaving and going, my God, I liked him before. I don't really like this. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know he was such an asshole. Somebody like me who comes from professional sports is like, fuck yeah, be that way. Right. It's interesting. <laughs> like, <laughs> be well, that to... way. That's what you should sign up for if you're on that team. You know, and that's the thing. Like, d- different, there's different rules. There, and there needs to be more flexibility around this. There's different mm-hmm. rules for different things. Mm-hmm. We've even got this with the military right now. I don't know if you've heard about this, but like the military mm-hmm. is getting huge backlash right now for for how violent their trainings are. They're the military. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's what I'm saying. Like by, by entering into a specific arena, you are agreeing to specific rules. Yeah. And, and basically one of the problems with modern society is they're looking to demolish all those rules. And that goes back to the challenging of authority and, and, the, and the structures, not just of knowledge, but also of sort of the arena of space that you should that you agree yeah. and consent to be inside exactly. a certain set of rules and, and values. And I'm all for consent. I'm mm-hmm. like, but you got to decide whether you belong in that arena. Yeah, right. for sure. If you're going to sign up for that arena, you are signing up for certain things. Well, and if you want to be on the winningest basketball team in the world, in the history, along with the greatest players that have ever played the game. Get ready for pressure every single day. Yeah. Yep. And and it's almost an expectation. People are going to yell at you and be an asshole to well, you. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's what you take on, right? <laughs> it, it's the sacrifices that you understand you're about to make when you join these professional sports or the military. It's yep. like, of course, if it was easy, then everybody would be a professional athlete. Well, everybody would be, you know, in the, in the Navy SEALs and, and doing that. Like, there is a reason why it's not for everyone. But mm-hmm. especially these yeah. days, and I, it's been a little bit triggering for me in moments, like this whole woke culture. Ooh, let's talk about that. <laughs> okay. Like, <laughs> we're just going to dive right in. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's funny. It's something that we talked last night as well at dinner about um, that whole thing about gymnastics that I told you, right? How all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this gymnast that I was on a team with has come out and gone public into all the the 
the news, the, the mainstream media and the news outlets saying how our coach was abusive. This was um, too much. Like we were not treated as human beings. Let's all gaslight this coach and get her out of gymnastics. And gymnast- yeah. Gymnastics Canada got put on a cross yeah. and the Canadian media, which is the darlings to the woke culture, they just loved it. printed they and printed and printed as much up. as they could. Yeah. And now they're trying to gather all these people to come out. And then, as I was saying, I was like, I don't think I would ever come out and say, because I, I know I was around that. I was around. They were, I was seeing they were that. her teammates. Abuse, as they labeled it, because it was really difficult training. Like you're talking about the Navy SEALs. It's like, of course, you're going to be yelled at and put through the most difficult times. And that is how our coach did position it. Yeah. Do you feel like you signed up for that? Yes. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of these people that are coming forward right now were forced in some way into these positions, whether by a, it's by a parent who wants them to be in a sport. I've watched mm. this with other sports before, mm. and I've tried to figure out what the difference is between mm. those who are like you, who are like, what the hell are you doing? Like, this mm-hmm. is what I signed up for. And people who are like, I this is all abuse. And this is all messed up. And the, the variable that I have found is that there's there's almost always some sensation that as a child they were forced to do something they didn't want to do. And usually it's by parents, actually. Mm-hmm. And the scapegoat is the coach. I mean, sometimes there's serious sexual abuse. We're not of talking course. about no, that. No, no, but yeah. Like, yeah, of course. Let's say there's yeah. not serious sexual abuse. It's oftentimes the, co- the coach becomes the scapegoat for feeling pressured into a sport by the family. So mm-hmm. you've got a very, because like some of these children, especially when it comes, I don't know how it is with rhythmic gymnastics, but like, what do they call it with it? the other type of gymnastics? Artistic gymnastics. Yeah. Call it, yeah. With that, it's like these girls are being forced into this at two, three, four. Yeah. Do you really think that, that most of these children are waking up being like, I want to be an Olympic athlete? No, most of it is their parents. Yeah, putting them in the program. Well, that is the same rhythmic gymnastics, too, especially when you're looking at like the Eastern European side. Like there's a gymnast in Russia that are two, three years old that are taken from their families and put into this thing and like stretched in crazy ways. So then and, it is like, abuse. Yeah. yeah. So then it's abuse. That's interesting. But did you ever have a time when, like, where you felt that it was too much and you wanted? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you, would that be then unconsensual at that point? Yeah. For me, it got to a point, I think... Um, well, when you were injured, right? When I was injured and I was, as I was saying, I was under contract and I was forced to compete. I had to be taken, like, pills of morphine to get through the pain in competitions because my back was... Literally, they, they took a MRI of my back when I was 16 years old, and they said I had the back of a 60-year-old woman. My spines were the That's same. That's how much damage I had, and I was forced to go through these difficult trainings and so to go through that pain. And, and I think it got to a point where I felt like I was forced yep. to do something against my will because I was contractually obliged yep. to do this and supporting my family at the same time. So yep. there was like a deeper, you know, obligation to it. Um, and it drove me to a dark place. It drove me into like point well, of depression when... and, and hating it all and just like <laughs> wanting to and at that time too i think at the age of 17 wanting to be that rebellious yeah, yeah, like yeah. fuck yeah. this i don't want to do this anymore like and it did um but i think sometimes as well i think you became something after and you used that that trauma and that suffering to become something more in your life i find mm-hmm. that there could be an, a secondary uh, perspective to the idea of where this all comes from. I think a lot of the people that come back out at the same time, that could also be because they had parents that forced them in, but it could also be because then they never actually were given what they were promised by suffering through it. And their life oh, turned out to... this is going to take us down the wormhole of wokeism. Okay. Because oh it, it's interesting because I find th- the gymnast that came out in Canada, uh-huh. I mean, it's not like she was like... 
she had no spotlight going back to wanting to be seen, wanting to be heard, wanting to be validated. She oh. went through it all oh, to find at the end of the, the golden path she was told she was walking down. Oh, this is totally something else. There was no happiness. There was no joy. And all of a sudden, what I thought, thought was interesting, and again, I don't know her. I don't know her life or her story. But all of a sudden, she was put on the cover of magazines and put on the cover of news. And all of a sudden, you look at her social media, and all it is is all of the pictures of her on the covers of all these articles. And you're like, hmm, is there a connection between now getting some kind of validation that she never received because she didn't ever actually and it's just equally as profitable for the magazines Mm -hmm. right (laughs) right well of course the media loves it we're gonna swim down the wormhole now already (laughs) (laughs) wokeism oh my goodness welcome okay so this this woke culture that is coming up especially in the western world is an absolute toxicity it has its roots in the deep wounding that occurred with this generation we're talking millennials and Gen Zs, right? But especially mm-hmm. millennials are the ones that started this one. Mm-hmm. Wokeism is essentially when you weaponize resentment. And resentment is all about unfairness. This generation feels like they were more unfairly led and unfairly treated, especially by authority, than any other culture or any other, sorry, generation that I've seen. There's more animosity between the... the um, millennial generation and the boomers than I've seen between a generation ever, Hmm. ever. So here you have a generation. We have to look back into the the origins of this generation to understand this one. Right. Here you have a generation who were sold an idea. That's why I loved what you said earlier. They were sold the idea that if if you go to school, if you do these things, then you get a job like this. Mm-hmm. Then it means, right, you get the family, you get the fairy tale romance, you get the, you see? So they were sold on this idea, and what happened is none of it came to be. In fact, they were kicked into the workforce exactly when 2008 happened. Mm. So there was a market crash the second that they were put in the workforce. Then you've got the boomer generation, which are largely in control of the market, and in terms of the residential market, raising prices to such a degree that now they're priced out of the market. You can't buy a house anymore. Yeah. So they can't get a, a good job, no matter how much debt they're in because of going to school and following That's right. rules. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> also, relationships. You sold me on the idea that relationships were going to work out. Look at all the Disney movies you sat me in front of when I was a kid. This is not <laughs> how it's working. Rom-coms aren't a thing in life. <laughs> so what you notice is that they were sold on this idea. That if they just put in all the time, work, energy, all the pain, right? If they put in all the pain, it would, it would equal these results. And it did not happen. And we were already dealing with a crisis with this before the pandemic. You have a twice-wounded generation. <laughs> all right. So with a generation that is, it's destroyed. I'm going to be honest with you. The millennial generation is demolished. And really, uh, the, the only individuals within this generation that are finding genuine success in worldly terms, are the ones who are going so far outside the box that, I mean, it's not something that's, that most mm-hmm. people can replicate. Yeah. They're like the one-offs, you right. say it, right? Like the, the self-employed, the ones yeah. that yeah. broke so the paradigm, businesses. moved yeah. away. You know, you guys. <laughs> Yourself, okay. too, included. Me. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. 
Elon Musk. I mean, you know, it's these people who are like, all right, well, none of that is working, so I'm just going to break the entire formula mm-hmm. itself. Yes. So, but the question is, like, how many people honestly have it within themselves to do those types of things, right? Not everyone. Mm-hmm. Not everyone. So there's no track to success anymore within society for this generation. And because of it, it is a truly resentful, distrustful, violently angry generation. Mm-hmm who has needs, nonetheless has these needs. Now, what are they going to do with these needs? The only thing that they can do. Right now, the only thing they can do with that that extreme resentment that they have is to try to rip down authority structures because authority is what hurt them. Authority is the one that said, here, go through all this pain, I'll give you the cookie, psych. <laughs> so basically, they're, they're looking to rip down these structures, which makes them feel better, and they're looking to get these needs met any way they can. Mm-hmm. Now, within this culture of wokeism, you have got people slipping into this classic cycle, you know, the, the sort of triangle of of hero, victim, villain, right? Mm-hmm. We're just in it, like in a mass scale right now, because what you can do in the wokeist culture is you can, you can create a victimization. Even if it doesn't exist, you can point it out somewhere. Now, without that side tangent you and I went on about, like, what makes some of these people, you know, feel abused... Let's say that it didn't happen at all, and it really isn't abuse at all, right? I can still point at something in this in this wokeist culture and be like, look, I'm creating a victim. We were a victim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've got a villain in that story. Yeah. And then, But then, this is the thing. They're doing this specifically so as to position themselves as the hero, because the hero is the one that gets all these needs met. The ones that they mm-hmm. that they didn't get met. The, the recognition, mm-hmm. the look, I'm a good person. We all yeah. need to feel good and right, right? The fame and everything that comes with that, you know. So they're looking to get their needs in a shadow way by by inventing victimization so they can posit themselves as heroes. So we're in the like the oldest archetype of all right now. But this this wokest and so that's what I'm saying, like we have we cannot understand the, the culture of wokeism without understanding the context in which it was born. And the context was them being sold a lie. Yeah. And believing in it, yes. walking the path and finding out that yes. there is no reward at the end of the of the blueprint. Yes, and and then and then almost a, a collective feeling that there's no way to get what you want and need. That well, is not how the previous generations felt. For sure. They felt like if I put in this work, yeah. it will equal a house. Or if I put in this work, I can have a kid. Or if, whatever mm-hmm. it is. They actually felt like it was achievable. And, and the overwhelming theme that I see for this generation is nothing I want is going to happen. So, <laughs> And that's, that's so dangerous. I mean, it's good for destroying power structures, but it's really bad for social cohesion. Right. Every person should be enabled by each other mm-hmm. to really find, really find their personal truth and to be able to share that personal truth with the, the entire world. And it's it's almost like we're a making space for each other. Not everybody just has to accommodate me. Yeah. You know? But as a parent, how do you make sure you communicate that to your child? Especially, you know, you're, you're a mother as well. Yep. When you have a child that's going into those years when they're starting to really discover themselves and, and look for that identity. And they're being everything around them is telling them these things. As a parent, how do you? We have a lot of conversations about it. I have yeah. endless conversations with, with my child about what he's perceiving in the world and what he's seeing and what he's making it mean mm-hmm. and alternative ideas. I, I, it's talking. It's, you know, we have so much time for. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's talking to your children. Right. 
I feel like we, we fail to do that. But I mean, honestly, we lack intimacy as a species with each other. And that's something that I'm trying to change. But as parents, we need to have high degrees of intimacy with our children. And when I say intimacy, what I mean is we need to see into, feel into, hear, and deeply understand them. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, you can honestly say at a heart level and a mind level, I understand this person. Mm-hmm. Right. Without having these deep conversations about how all these things are landing with our children, we can't get there. Mm-hmm. And and so what would you say to a parent that whose child comes forward at a very young age and says that um, they don't feel like they're in the right body? Like how, w- other than what they do in sort of in the infrastructure of society right now, which is encourage it and nurture that feeling and tell them that it's exactly how it should be and we're going to give you drugs and we're going to do this and do this to, to further that identity misplacement or perceived? Like, well, I would want to understand exactly why a, a person felt like they weren't in the right body because there's a lot of different reasons than just gender. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, in the first place that I would look as a parent, if that, if that was somebody coming to me with that, Let's say I've got a child who's born as one sex and they're saying I'm a different sex. I would examine the environment I'm creating and also myself and my relationship to that gender. Right. Immediately. As a parent. Immediately, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because they're um, saying there's a lot of people, could, they, they're trying to proclaim it to be a social contagion to some degree in youth because of the way it's being propagated. Yes, because, because now we're saying, oh, you get more significance and more of these needs mm-hmm. met by being that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, when no, it goes back to that attention, right? Yep. The fame, the yep. attention that they're being, yep. they're hurrying it and putting Except it on a now that Now there's social approval. That's how I get social approval. Yeah. yeah. And a sense of belonging to a tribe yeah. and to a, a subcategory that they fit into in, exactly. a, in a place where we all feel like we're not sure where we are. No, fit. but if I'm dealing with a kid who genuinely doesn't feel good inside of their body, I, it's it's not like I'm going to this, oh, let's change your sex. I'm literally like, well, well what is it about your body that we feel like we don't? belong in mm-hmm. why don't we belong in this it's like we, we're doing a deep dive and then i'm just problem shooting almost at whatever level they yeah. meet me at with mm-hmm. well, i don't like the clothes yeah. i wear well let's find clothes we like better i mean it's yeah and i feel like that's how it should be because like i do agree that there are there's a certain percentage of people out there in the world and children even maybe that one day come to a point where they're like i don't feel right in my body and that of course that happens but when we as a society first need to do the work with that person yes. to understand yes. instead of just send them into oh, yeah. surgery. Hell no. No, that, that is a very drastic. That's the end. That should be literally the end of the road. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it's not how it is right now. It's like, the, you know, all of these children that are coming out and saying this, like, why aren't we finding specific therapists for them to really dig deep into this issue? Because most of the therapists don't know how to deal with this. Why is that? Because they they don't understand parts yet. There's there's very limited amounts of society that understand that the psyche is is something that fragments. That's actually, I mean, it's not mainstream to be honest with you, which mm-hmm. I just can't swallow at the time. But um, mm-hmm. you have to understand that the psyche fragments in order to work with suppressed and disowned and rejected parts of self. Most of them don't know how to do that. So like, let's say you know, if you're a therapist working with this and you got a a young you know, teen, for example, who's coming to you saying this. Let's say that you've got a, a little girl who's saying, I, I just, I feel like a boy. I always felt like a boy. I feel like I'm in the wrong body. The first place I go is I understand that the femininity is rejected. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at their relationship to their feminine part. I'm going to start to have them go into their femininity. And I'm going to see why. So when we, we, it's, you can only know a person's truth, like actual truth, when you integrate 
these polarized aspects, then you've got the truth. But oftentimes when you do this, there's some vulnerability, right, that exists in the feminine, for example, or in the masculine, the opposite. And it's that vulnerability they're trying to get away from. So that movement towards the I want to be the other or I feel like I am the other is nothing more than you'd see with anybody's protector personality. Where it, this is what's going to keep me safe and this is what's going to get my needs met. And if you can, can I explain to a person, maybe not necessarily. Like mm -hmm. I understand how this is a product of the environment, but what if we try to make those vulnerable aspects of yourself feel more safe instead of swung the pendulum to such an extreme degree. And most people, when you open up those opportunities, they're like, oh, wait. And they start to reown the part of themselves that they've rejected. Now, I'm all for making these these drastic life changes if it's an integrated choice, but often it isn't. Mm -hmm. it, it is something that is done in rejection of an aspect of self and is therefore a, an act of violence mm -hmm. against the self. Hmm. And why do you think that this perspective isn't accepted by the mainstream? Like as far because as... it's perceived as anti-LGBTQ right. when mm -hmm. it's the exact opposite. Right. Yeah. Would you say, Till, that it's like a soul's perspective? Because in a way, it, like, I don't know what your idea of that is, but there's, there's no gender on that level or nationality or any of those attributes are not even like human. My, my opinion on this is that the spiritual community has come in with those truths and has hijacked the beauty of polarity. That's mm. the only honest truth. Oh, that's interesting. I, I mean, you'd expect somebody like myself who has made more of a step, honestly, towards um, androgyny. You'd expect somebody like me to be propagating the idea that this is where we need to go as a species, and I don't agree. I feel like mm -hmm. we're in a crisis of, of gender and a, mm -hmm. a crisis in terms of we did not arrive here by virtue of integrating and then deciding that we were going to be an example of the best of both polarities. We literally got here by hating each other. Hmm. We got here by making an enemy of femininity when the women's rights movement came out. We made an enemy of femininity and uh, we made an enemy of masculinity. Mm -hmm. Now you can't be either. Yeah. And this is not an okay place to be. So like the way that I see it is we need to powerfully reown our genders. I mean, absolutely powerfully. And from there, then what? How do you take temperament into consideration in that? Explain. Like sort of the idea that some women have more masculine um, more energies, ma energies yeah. and some men have more feminine energies. Well, that's really complicated. Yeah, no, I know. That's yeah, it's why. really complicated for each person. But here's where I always mm -hmm. go. Let's look at how much of it is trauma. Now, we resolve that trauma, so we take that element out of it, and then you have a more accurate representation of what is soul, mm. what is pre-birth intention, what is genuinely authentic to this person, and what is not. Because so many people make an adaptation. Like, I, I, I mean, I can't, it's like, it's mind boggling. How many people are, are this way? Like a female's mm -hmm. like, no, I, I just always sort of identified as being extra masculine or, or just behaves that way and doesn't even do so on a conscious level. I can't tell you how often you go back and it's completely their environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So then it's like, all right, let's reown the aspects you disowned and let's try to resolve some of these traumas. Mm -hmm. Then let's see what's true. That's my only argument. I, I like for me, I don't care whether somebody wants to be black or blue or yeah. you know, a girl or guy. Like I don't care. <laughs> no. I care whether people are doing this from a space that's integrated. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> no, I think that's like. And how could we, like, in the educational system, more than come to embrace our gender or like to celebrate it, right? Because we don't really have much education oh, on God. this. 
And, we're, well, we're going to have to change the entire education system to begin with. That's like a whole yeah. other disaster. Yeah, but. yeah, that's... It, the, the, I honestly, in our society, it's ironic because it's like we almost need to go back and pull from some of these indigenous cultures, which really did understand the value of what each of these energies present. Mm -hmm. And the way that I see it is I, I want people to start to see masculinity and femininity as if they are separate elements. It's like one is fire and one is water. Right. Mm -hmm. You're not like, oh, one versus the other. Or like, let's just be both. No, I'm, I'm sort of like, let's consider that when we came in here, the way that we came in here, we came in here so as to master that element, mm -hmm. so as to essentially spread that medicine. Right. And that's going to be what feels the best to the body. So why don't we see the value in that element and why don't we start to express that element and deal with and resolve whatever trauma is in the way of that element? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what I'm seeing is, is much more the way that we need to go is not towards like androgyny now. It's much more towards, you know, men really, really embodying like the, for once the conscious masculine and, and females the conscious feminine. Mm -hmm. And I, I want like way more opportunities for little boys, especially to be in those, you know, in those energies. Same with little girls. We've just, we've made an enemy of both. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they, and you think that it was through virtue that we made the enemy? Like through virtue? Yeah, well, people believing that it's virtuous to, to disassociate from that and to, and it's the, the society of what's around you. It's the right? same, like, it's the same. The reason that we got here, let's just go simple. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The reason that we got here is the same reason that we're getting here with the woke culture. You've got a subculture that recognizes there's an issue with the dominant culture. So you have mm -hmm. a subculture that recognizes that patriarchy was in a form of toxicity. It absolutely was. 100%. If you, if you go back to the 1950s, you're like, oh, my God, like, I'm, if I'm a woman, I'm off the planet. Sorry. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so so there, I mean, it's undeniable that there was yeah. an absolute toxicity that needed to be answered to. But if you've been so wounded... By that form of toxicity, so toxicity. How do you not swing the pendulum? And this, and that's the problem. They mm -hmm. swung the pendulum mm -hmm. all the way over here, and so it was. They could not separate their need for these changes within society from their violent hatred of the hurt that mm -hmm. they felt at the hands of the thing that they were up against. <laughs> and what's ironic is they were still reacting to a patriarchal society that was still made for men by men. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're sort of like, we can do what you can do. We're going to be men. So what you notice is like at that time was this huge movement towards a, essentially a gaslight. The gaslight is we're so for women by, by not being women and by hating men. That's the thing, right? It's like even the feminist movement, it's the idea of it is so beautiful, but it's gotten to a point where it's almost like you're anti-men. Yep. You know what I mean? There's like this, like you're saying, this negativity and this hatred. You're anti-men, but at the same time, you're making yourself masculinized. Yeah. And then saying you're for feminine. Exactly. Yeah. It just makes sense. <laughs> well, it's nuanced and it's messy, but it's as, a gen yeah. as a general sort of, as a general sort of pattern in, in the direction that it's going, it's quite frightening. And we got rid of what we wanted and needed in men. So there's a crisis in relationships at the very same time between men and women. Do you think that's where a lot of these broken relationships come from i think that, that and the complication the mm -hmm. sort of it's so complicated to exist in society right now it's crazy but mm -hmm. also i mean we're struggling to really understand our our needs for each other mm -hmm. 
which was the real fear, honestly, that a lot of us had when we started to see this happening on the planet, was that women would come to a point where they didn't need men anymore. Well, it's not true. I mean, women do need men, but the question is what for? If you create a society where a woman can do everything for herself, like where's the place for a man, you know? Mm -hmm. And what you notice in these relationships that were successful, there's a lot that were terrifying, but in these relationships that were successful before between men and women, there was a, there, what you notice is there is a very concrete idea about what needs I meet and what needs you meet because right. we're different elements. Yeah. Right? And that's actually quite healthy. So we're in a little bit of crisis moving into our modern lifestyles of knowing where that is. What is the contract? Because with any relationship, there is a contract. There's an energy exchange. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the question for us is, where is it with men and women mm -hmm. right now? And we're getting more and more confused the more we walk down the road of like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, the th but the thing is, our biology has not caught up with this. It's not like when we moved into, and this is the case for humans all the time, by the way. It was not like when we moved into a modern society, we were like, oh, inconveniently, my biology kept up. No, it didn't. Mm -hmm. It didn't. We're still attracted to the same things we were attracted to in the Stone Age with men. Right. Mm -hmm. We just don't want to get abused, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, through this sort of movement, I'm speaking on behalf of the females, so through this kind of movement, we, we castrated the very thing that we love. <laughs> In men. And now men are like, I don't know what you want me to do or not do. Do you want me to open the door or not? <laughs> <laughs> Is this now an insult or no? You know? And then we're like, why didn't you do that? That's protection. Well, don't insult me. I can do it myself. You know? It's, it's literally getting, it's so confused right now. I'm like, I got to almost like say to the people watching this, if you feel like you are just like in a maze, like in the weeds, I'd hope so. You That's paying attention. Right. right. Well, I think that's why it's topical to us and why I think discussing it. Because it is very confusing because, because you're seeing this whole movement and everything and you're just like, uh, yeah, I can't even put words to it, to be honest. It's it's very confusing. It's confusing and it's gaslighting and, yeah. and, and people say this, but really this exactly, is the truth. Exactly, yeah. yeah. What's, and it's also frightening because people are so triggered by even just hearing a conversation such as this, and I'm sure they will be, yep. that... Um, Obviously, having this type of conversation has consequences, yep. which is crazy in a society to talk has a consequence. Like, what is the... What, Especially this country. Well, yeah. To, like, when a conversation can be something that is actually dangerous to people. Yep. Um, so what do you say to people? Like, there are people watching this. They're probably feeling emotions. They're probably reflecting. They're probably processing. <laughs> what is the best thing oh, no. to pr you can say to promote someone being able to digest this from a point of view, not saying you have to agree with what we're saying, but to consider that the position that they're having that emotional reaction towards protecting might not be the right strategy. Stop making it about the conversation that we're having because it's not, it's not the concepts themselves that are upsetting people. It's vulnerabilities that they're worried are going to be trampled on or not considered by us having this conversation. Right. Yeah. And so for them to to recognize it isn't the conversation. I mean, yeah, most people aren't really upset about what we're, what you're talking about. It's a separate, it's like, oh no, that brings up this whole other yeah. thing for me. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like, it's really it's about this. So like, why don't we have a conversation about that? I'm afraid that, I mean, fill in the blank. Let's think, what might somebody be having a hard time with? Like for somebody who's a feminist, for example, who who's in the older generation who might be watching this being like, no, you don't understand. Like my, it, it was so bad back then that you couldn't even get a job. As mm -hmm. a woman, you can't get paid, you know, that. That's not the conversation we're having. Mm -hmm. 
I wouldn't even disagree with that. So, yeah. you know, if, if that person were sitting in the room, the vulnerability is about, I need you to see my pain. I need you to see that it was really good that we did this because if we didn't do this, girls like you couldn't say what you're saying right now. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. But like the conversation that we're having isn't even about that. No. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's literally just about any time you get a subculture that comes up that tries to change the dominant culture, that becomes the new toxicity. And it would be wonderful if humanity could get out of that cycle. And yet it just keeps repeating. So, mm-hmm. and, and, the, and it did. Yeah, the cycle seems to be driving its way into whole new levels at this what point. What do you think the future of this? Like, I mean, you mentioned before that you're able to ask Natural yep. travel and, and remove yourself from. Well, this marriage part. doesn't exist in the future. No marriage. No marriage. Hmm. Is it just like a partnership that you agreed to and without the the legalization of it or what it looks like is groups it's almost like humans are going back to being more primate and it looks mm-hmm. like a group living type of a situation that people are headed towards and that pair bonding is not as as attached to the human ego mm-hmm. and because it's not as attached to the human ego it's what it looks like in terms of romantic what we would call a romantic relationship or a sexual relationship it's very much more like a, a bonding with who makes sense for the moment mm. so it's more open relationships not necessarily. I mean, I, I could say yes, for some it will look like that, but mm-hmm. I, people are still pair bonding in the future. But that pair bonding doesn't, it doesn't mean the same thing today. And it's its like you're sleeping with this person be, or being with this person on a romantic level because right now that's the compulsion almost. Mm-hmm. But its it's almost like when two beings don't want to engage in that anymore, which it, it looks like it's around three to four years as average, that they're like, okay, I think we're moving to a different mm-hmm. whatever. It doesn't have the same... Meaning is what it looks like. I mean, when I've been watching some of this in the future, that's essentially what I can say about it. Because when when there's that movement, even though you see some frustration, some fussiness, like you would in an average animal, when they're experiencing the loss of something that was precious, it doesn't mean something about you. So what what that tells me is that in our society right now, it's very much an idea that was placed in our minds that if somebody chooses you as a partner, it's it means something about your you as a person and your ego and your worth. And that has gone away. So a lot of the fixation on the one being a person who's like, you are my sun, my moon, and my star, you know, <laughs> and then all of a sudden I don't like you. It means something about you, you know, your, you as a person. It's not there. The same way that like, you know, like, let's say, and jealousy factors aren't there as much, too. So, like, mm. let's say that um, right now another man comes up and is, like, all touchy-feely with you, mm-hmm. right? That poses a huge threat to the relationship nowadays. But we're weird about other things. Like, if a guy, like, just went and, like, shook your hand, it wouldn't mean the same thing. So right. it, what it looks like in the future is that there's a very different meaning that our society assigns to pair bonding in general. Mm. Mm. What about parenthood? Like when you... It's group. It's a group. Something that's done by the group. Really? Yeah. Raised by the village, yes. right? As they say. Well, it does take yeah. a village. To raise a child. That's an understatement of the century. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's... It's amazing. Like, it's raising Xavier and I, without the support that we have mm-hmm. um, to be able to do what we do. is It's like... It's, it, it's an, it wouldn't... We it's wouldn't be able game. to do what we do at all, actually, mm-hmm. without the support of, of other people. But how is it for you? I mean, you, your son is... His name is Winter? Yep. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, he is how so old people. right now? He's 13. 13. <laughs> how is it for you, like managing of raising him and being a good mother to him and, and really helping him morph into this human being? 
plus running a business, plus doing everything that you do. Like how, how was it's it? It's wonderful. You? I feel so fulfilled. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a disaster. Oh, wow. No, it's a disaster. I can officially say that. Like I, yeah, you know, I, I don't, I can't tell you that to really make a success of yourself in this particular society, unless you get so creative, mm-hmm. it's possible. You know, I, I just. Is it because society's harder now? Society has never been more complicated. Mm-hmm. Never, ever been more complicated. <sighs> On top of that, I mean, what's expected essentially of a modern woman today is that you work as if you don't have children and you raise children as if you don't have a work. Hmm. You cannot do either to the furthest extent of your abilities. And yet we are still lying to each other, especially as women, that we can. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why I want to be very careful, you know, going out here and, and telling you guys the honest truth rather than what a lot of people would like to hear. Because I, you know, I especially get this because, of course, like people love to interview me for like business women stuff. And they're like, wow, how do you do it all? You know, and like so many women are out there being like, you can do it all. I actually don't want to give that message. Yeah. No, that's not the, that's not the proper message. Right now, society is not set up for us to be able to do it all. OK, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at all. So the, so here's the reality check. That nobody wants to give each other. I don't want to say this to another woman, but here's the reality check. And this is coming from somebody who's crazy creative, okay? Meaning I created an entire community to help me raise my son. And I'm going to tell you, as a woman, you get a choice. Your choices relative to your career. Do you want to go all the way this way or all the way with raising your child? Right. Every woman's going to have to settle somewhere between those two roads. Mm -hmm. Some women feel safe straddling here and that's okay for them. Some women are like, really? If I have this many hours doing my work or Mm -hmm. I go this far or I don't go this far and I'm doing this much over here, that's good for me. But but I'm telling you, if you decide to do both as a woman, you will find yourself at a crossroads where you have to decide where your level is. Right. And And which which amount of what energy goes into which lane? Yes, because you can't do the most you could do of both. You Mm -hmm. can't. Yeah. Is that the hardest thing for you right now? Is no. finding that place? No. Or has been? No, I found it. You found it. What is it for you? No more children. No more children. Right, eh? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's that. I found you... it for me. And it was one of the most painful experiences ever. Do you call that a sacrifice for your work? Yes, but at the same time, sacrifice sacrifice implies that I'm I'm giving up something that I'm not okay giving up. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. no, I see what you mean. I made this such a it's conscious a, process that it's I'm an like, exchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an exchange, and I'm okay making that exchange. It's a price I'm willing to pay. It creates a lot of pain, but it's a price I'm willing to pay, and I went through that whole process of doing that. And the pain is just the idea of having to, you know go into that direction and do what you're doing for the service and, and the mission that you're on and, and having to leave your son with somebody else for that moment. Cause I feel yes. like that a lot. Yes. Yeah. Having to leave him for that moment. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, you know, what's actually was more painful for me was not what I would lose by virtue of making the decision with my son. It was a lifestyle that I would be not choosing for a lot of us who are women who are looking down these two roads, right? This I actually call it the right hand and the left hand path. The right hand path is like this one that's totally full of purpose. For most of us, it's around a, you know some kind of a sense of mission or career, right? Yeah. Something that we want to really achieve in this world. Something we want to do. Um, this left hand path is much more 
what we've been sold as little girls. Hmm. It's a life that exists, but you know, we've been sold as little girls this idea that you'll have a man that you really belong with who's able to give you this wonderful containment and there's going to be just so much softness. The, the best way that I can describe it with the left-hand path is there's this contained softness mm -hmm. that you feel. And the right is very when hard. you're nurturing, and th mm -hmm. this is a much harder path because yeah. we are because the reality right now is we are in a we are in a man's world made for men. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to succeed, you are actually swinging more masculinized. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and I, I'll just explain it this way. I, I mean, just very simple. This is just a little tic tac, okay? Yeah. Men do not run on the same kind of cycles that women do. Women are going through an entire yearly cycle every month, right? They're going through springs and summers and falls and winters and blah, 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 right? So they're very much more like water. So you're watching them do this kind of with all of the changes that are happening, which is their, their skill and their talent. It doesn't work with a schedule. Our entire world runs on schedules. <laughs> doesn't matter whether you're miscarrying right now, you're going to show up on stage or else we're going to sue you. Welcome to a man's world. So if you start to go down this road of professional excellence, you are saying yes to masculine rules, which means you have to masculinize to survive those rules, or else you better get real creative. The problem is getting real creative is a little bit hard when the types of guys who are attracted to those types of women are also looking for a mommy, not a girl to take care of. Hmm. So what happens for a lot of women who are on this, you know, in the, at this juncture is essentially they're looking at these roads, sort of having to choose how much of what they want. By choosing this right-hand path, what you're letting go of is so much of those just absolutely wonderful moments that for a, a woman makes you feel like all of your cells can kind of like open up and be receptive mm -hmm. and soft. Yeah. And it was that that was the real tragedy. What? And you made a choice. And it's on behalf, I think, of your work. And... Yep. Why do you do what you do? What propels you to, to value that so highly? So many things. Yeah. This is the thing that I can't not do. And it's been frustrating, honestly, because there's been so many times, especially in the last year, that I've been like, I would love to, I would love to be able to quit. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. But it's like, hmm, this is me, ready? Being... Wanting to quit. Okay, let's look at quitting. Quitting in the wait a minute. I'm here. I'm doing my job again. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, just, I can't not do it. So part of it is that. I mean, for, it's like it's like a nuts mathematician. You can't not mm -hmm. do numbers. So like I, this is something that I can't not do. Mm -hmm. And when I'm really in it, meaning I'm having a conversation like this or whatever, I'm so in the moment. Like I have forgotten the universe right now even though we're talking about it. Yeah. It's like there's nothing outside this room. And that is an in-the-flow feeling yeah. that I would wish for all people. Yeah. That's, that's number two. Number three, my sense of purpose for this is so extreme. It's like Braveheart-level extreme. <laughs> so I really feel like that's what really living is about. It's about finding something that matters more than survival even. Hmm. And I found it. Four, I can't be the type of person who drives around this world and sees all these issues and is like, well, I hope someone fixes it. It's not my personality. <laughs> I just, I can't do it. So I'm the person who's like driving around looking at, you know, the sort of homeless population being like, I got to come up with something, you know? <laughs> so there would be no way for me to really just exist in the world and just enjoy, you know, my uh, daiquiri. Not that I, I don't drink, but like, mm -hmm. I can't just enjoy a daiquiri. I'm not, it's not my personality. Yeah. That's why you couldn't take that 
left path, right? Yeah. When it comes to like exactly. your son. Exactly. Because, and something that, just something that came up in my mind when you were speaking about that, not to take us back to that, but I just wanted to bring that in. And that maybe that's something a lot of women feel is that if you like do choose the left path and you don't follow that purpose, isn't there going to come a time when your child reaches a point of maturity and that you're going to regret that you didn't go in that direction? In the women who really choose that left-hand path, let's talk about the women who it's really right for them to choose that left-hand path. And I do need to talk about this demographic of women because part of what was eradicated in the 1960s and 70s was the idea that that's an acceptable path to take. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is this is so tragic. Being as somebody who chose the right-hand path, this is a tragedy that we've got like women who feel like they are absolutely in their calling to be caretaking the family. Mm-hmm. And what, and now, now it's like, oh, sorry, you're not going to be valued. Right. That's insanity. Yeah, it is. Okay, but these women who are genuinely, that's their calling, and to walk down that path, the time at which their children start to switch into a like, well, you know, I'm ready to get more yeah. autonomy... If there is an opening in terms of those very um, skills, let's say, that you have within you or the medicine you have within you, that's an opening for something else to fill the space. So mm-hmm. so a lot of these women, they just find another another outlet for their caretaking. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that's towards broader society. Sometimes that's towards other younger women. Sometimes that's towards, I'm adopting a different child. Sometimes it's towards animals. I mean, right. It's, so finding a different outlet. Yeah, they just yeah. find a different outlet. It's not like, oh, I wish I would have been a career yeah. woman. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's beautiful. And I think that's important to to bring forward because I'm sure there are there are a lot of women out there that once they reach yep. that phase, they feel absolutely lost because yep. their whole life has been determined on taking care mm-hmm. of these children. Yep. So now they have to go back in within themselves and start going back to maybe something that they were passionate about 18 years ago or 20 years ago. Potentially. So, but how does somebody, let's say they're in that moment and they're going back in, how do you find that purpose? How do you find purpose in life? Oh, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> purpose is about what has meaning and value and importance to you. So it's not something that I could ever say, you know, this is how to find your purpose. It's going to be so individual based on what is most important. So we would have a sit-down conversation, if I could, with somebody who's in that juncture. What is important to you right now, honestly? Mm-hmm. Like in terms of values, we'd go over values. What What is the most important value for you? And in what order and why? Now, looking at that, you can very easily start to see, oh, wait a minute. I could exercise this value of mine over here in this way, with this thing, with this person, with this activity, with this thing I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And then, then it's like... It's not one thing you're looking for. It's not like you're looking for a diamond in the rough. There's all kinds of opportunities within the realm of that purpose. And do you think the purpose shifts as we move forward through the journey of our life? I do. Yeah, yeah for sure. Mm-hmm. Kind of like because values shift. Right? Exactly. So purpose, as long as your purpose is aligning with your value, then like that's that's the mystery element. Yeah. It's not well if purpose doesn't align with your value, it's not going to feel like your purpose. Exactly. <laughs> so. And I think that's where a lot of people in modern day society end up putting all of their energy into things that isn't actually in their value hierarchy. Exactly. And then we wonder why we're acting miserable, okay? Right? Oh my God. <laughs> no, we're, we're miserable because people aren't living according to their values. Mm-hmm. But it's also the understanding that your purpose or your dharma, right, that you went, you come into this world, okay, this is my dharma, I'm going to be a veterinarian and yeah. then t- 10 years later you get a new passion for gardening and you know what I mean and it's like it's that acceptance that our dharma can change and maybe we yeah. are we come into this world with the idea that we can have as many as we want yep 
My God, I wish I could live 200 more years to try out 200 more purposes. It's a, it's so thrilling to shift. I've shifted and, a few times in my life. Yeah. I think it's one of the most amazing and liberating things you can do in life is is express that sovereignty by saying, no, my I've changed or my values have changed, yeah. not myself. And I've decided now I'm going to put my energy into this instead of that. And if you weren't so focused on, I mean, on this incredible mission that you're in and you could just snap your fingers and shift your, your purpose in Dharma, do you know what it would be? I want to be an opera singer. Opera singer. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, it's like either that or like make it. I, but the thing is, is, like you lose your love of cooking if you have to do it every single day for a job often. Mm. But that would be my other profession. Cooking. But if you truly love it, maybe you don't lose it. Wait, if I could snap my fingers overnight. Maybe a surgeon too. I, what? A surgeon? Yeah. Wow. Where's that come from? I too has always been my personality. <laughs> I had a lot of junctures in my life, but one of them was definitely walking down the medical route. I started actually as a as a medical medium, essentially. Um, Interesting. That's what I, a majority of my work was before I started this career. I wasn't really teaching people as much as I was working on health issues for them. But What kind of health issues were you usually working? Everything cancers, usually, because people... Oh, wow. Most of the time, people only come down this road when the mainstream fails them. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. So, so in the shift from... I also from... have a surgeon's personality. What's the surgeon's personality? Uh, a little bit domineering, loves to lead a room, has no problem with conflict, doesn't have a problem with people's lives being in their hand, um, can cut into bodies. I mean, that requires some stomach. <laughs> yes. And is hyper-intelligent. Right. Has a level of focus where you can, like, pee your pants because you're there for five hours straight. Yeah, I've got that type of personality. Walking into a hospital, I'm like, me, 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 me. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you, so you made a shift from medical, how did you say it? You were a medical... Medical medium. Medium. Yeah. Um, and you decided to do YouTube videos? Is that how that began? Oh, wow. That sounded great. No, no, no. I but, was a medical medium. No, no, but like... And then I decided to do YouTube videos. <laughs> no. Okay, so the switch was this. I was working with people with their health ailments, but but essentially, you know, being extrasensory, I can see how the mind and the emotions are feeding into these physical ailments. Mm -hmm. I can literally right. visually see it. Mm -hmm. So you could walk them through it yeah. through verbally of how to yes. maneuver Exactly. That. And I was like... What the hell am I doing, doing energy work and helping people with physical ailments when at the root are all at these the major root. misunderstandings about life itself, about these subconscious patterns? I, I'm like, this is just, I'm just wasting my time. It's like spinning wheels. I'm just fixing symptoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Rather than getting to the root. I, like, I love that you always go back to that root. How, and so you decided to make that switch. I mean, we share the idea of making content. We know what that takes. We know what the first video feels like. We know how <laughs> then the next hundred or three hundred or five hundred <laughs> feel like after that. What was that transition like for you to step into that space? Because oddly now, natural. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I, I would love to have a, something that was like it was really scary yeah. at first. No. Was there no? It was embarrassingly natural. Like it was bad. Was there resistance at all? In no, any, none. and I, I like, I did not care too about like what it, I was just like, it, I was in front of a sheet just so you know, cause I didn't have anywhere in my house at that time that like looked <laughs> good enough. So I like took a, a sheet, just hung it up behind myself. I'm like, let me tell you something. Oh yeah. It was just immediate. <laughs> it was pretty ironic actually. Cause the same was, it was the same with the stage. Mm. It was like the first time I ever stepped up on stage. It was like, I'd done it 4 million times before. Do you think maybe you have? In your past lives. Mm. Yes. 
as <laughs> an opera no, singer. No, it was ridiculously natural. There's been other elements of this career that have not been natural and that have been absolute hell, but that was just, I mean, so simple. It's almost like you just end up in this like mm-hmm. really sort of blow up successful place and you're like, wow, I don't even register what just happened. It was just. Where have you felt resistance though in this career? I was incredibly naive in that when I first got into this line of work, I thought that people were going to just be arguing with my content. And that was an argument that I was prepared for. And I actually thought it was beneficial, mm-hmm. like almost a philosophical argument around the concept of gender or around the concept of regression therapy. You know, I was prepared for that. What I had no idea about and was naive about was the fact that by going into the public eye with an opinion, it would be a character assassination. Mm. That what would be on trial was my personality. Right. Completely unprepared for that one. And that has been actually the thing in my career where I've been like, I have no idea what to do with this. Hmm. Unprepared for this. Don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. Can't seem to find people that know how to deal with it. Those that say they know how to deal with it create other existential crises for me. So, <laughs> wow. oh, that one's been yeah rough. Well, yeah, you. I mean, you've been put in the public eye a lot for all kinds of like uh, character assassination. Yep. Mm-hmm. How do you cleanse yourself of that to keep the resilience to move forward? Like that's resistance in an actual situational circumstance. I have not mastered this yet. I have to be honest. But what do you do? You have like what have you done to? I mean, you've had to pick yourself up. Like, that's an amazing feat in and of itself. What do you think that is? It's two things. It's the first thing is, is what I explained to you before, is an an absolute rage to master what my truth about myself and how I want to be is. Right. Which means basically picking what you're going to do with whatever trait. Am I going to stand by this trait in a more powerful mm-hmm. way, or am I going to commit to changing this? Hmm. And then that becomes my practice. The other side is... You will not make it. Honestly, in the public eye, you will not make it unless you care more about something you are doing than you care about what gets done to you. And that is definitely an element that I have in my career. It's, the, I mean, it's, when I say it, it sounds so like, it sounds almost philanthropic, but it's not how it feels in my body. Yeah. It's, it's like I, I care less that people want to kill me than I care about some 15-year-old girl who's struggling her ass off because she doesn't have some of these answers about the dysfunction in her family and her life. Mm-hmm. And when I when I can hook into the pain she's in, it's larger than the pain I'm under by being under attack. And, and that is why I keep going. It's poetic. It's really powerful, too, because that's, that's your, your why. Yep. Your why is what gets you up when the world tries to to put you down, you know, and, that, and that's really powerful because there's not a lot of people that would do that. Like there's a lot of people that would call it quits if if they were, you know what I mean, like facing real difficulty that the society does. I mean, a strong and defined why can get you through to yeah. to become what you're supposed to be. And I think it also proves that like your mission is that powerful. You're not there to just be in the spotlight, yeah. you know, and to make these videos and to make the views and make a business of it. Like that's there, of course. And that's what continue, continues to help you do what you do. But your real why is in that 15 year old girl. Yep. And people do see that, though. You have to remember that. I, people, I, people do I'm trying see, to remember yeah. that. <laughs> we see that. We see that. I mean, that's why we wanted like why we're here today and why we wanted to connect with you and like build this friendship with you, because we see beyond that. And there are many other people that do as well. And I think 
for all of us to always remember that, to focus on the light, to focus on the good work that you're doing, the people that are affected by it and the lives that you're saving, because this is such a dark world. I honestly, to me, like, I'm, like I said, I'm very sensitive to a lot of energies. And I, these days I feel there's so much darkness oh, yeah. everywhere. And it's really hard to move through it. If you focus on the darkness, you have to focus on the light. You have to focus on the people that are actually helping. Well, and you know? there's, there's so many people I find in this day and age who would rather sit on the couch and commentate yeah. than actually get up and contribute. And so I don't, I have deep forgiveness for anyone that gets up to contribute that may make mistakes or may get under fire, may become controversial, but they're willing to stand in that fire and do what they have to do, which is something, which is fucking better than nothing. That's kind of what you were saying. It's like you're seeing all the suffering happening. You're like, well, why would I just stand back and uh, say, well, someone needs to fix it? I can't do it. I, I feel so much visceral pain in my own body when I watch people hurting in relationships or mm -hmm. relative to their own choices in life. I can't do it. Like, it's just... Mm. Do you feel the same way for other sentient beings? Yes. Is yeah, I do. But I, but you'll notice that everybody kind of has a calling towards mm -hmm. something. So, like, you'll see that somebody who notices the pain on the planet right now may feel, like, super directed towards putting their energy into geology. Or, like, somebody will feel like it's all about animal rescue. Mm -hmm. For me, I've identified the problem on this planet, and it's humans. <laughs> I happen to love them, too. But the problem's humans. Yeah. So a lot of my focus and energy is going towards what is creating the pain for the system. It's the root. Back mm -hmm. to the root. That's it just in... so happens that the root of the pain they're causing is their own pain. Right. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you find forgiveness for humans so that are causing pain to innocent beings? Like for me, it's really hard. Or other people. Or right? other people as well. I mean... I think for where my connection is because I, I look at animals as innocent beings. They're not there to exploit us as humans. They're just there living their life. And when human beings come in and like in terms of like factory farming and the abuse and the torture that they're putting these innocent beings that never did anything to deserve this, I, I, I feel a lot of anger and I feel a lot of sadness towards that. So how do you find forgiveness for those people that do that? I don't think about forgiveness. What do you, think, what do you about? think about then? I think about meeting whatever need needs to be met or solving whatever pain needs to be solved so that they don't do that anymore. Hmm. And when I'm looking at this, this is why I did the Anatomy of Loneliness book. Mm -hmm. At the root of all of the pain that people cause each other, no matter what the crime, it's all disconnection. I can only hurt something I can't perceive a connection to. <laughs> so if that's the root issue, why not? help them feel connection to something. Wow. Yeah. That's why you'll, you'll notice that my strategy, I mean, I, publicly, if I'm talking to a whole group, I'm going to be like, this is ridiculous. We need to stop doing this. But let's say that I'm sitting with somebody who owns a factory farm. First thing I want to do is not get into an argument about factory farming, regardless of what my heart feels like for animals. Mm -hmm. I'm dealing with a deeply disconnected person. They do not feel seen, heard, felt, understood. That's my first place I'm going to go. So you got to, it's almost like we're rehabilitating this perception right. of connection in a person. And then pretty soon that starts to bleed out. Well, connection's everything. I mean. But then when you're, I find that there is a sense of forgiveness that we have to find. For, I mean. We're going to go down the road of forgiveness? You want to? Well, oh, I love this. <laughs> I mean, for yourself. We'll have to you, a... You've spoken about abuse. Yep. In the beginning of this and your abuser and this person that did insanely yeah. terrible things to you. 
have you, to close that wound, have you found forgiveness for him? Yes. So you did find forgiveness. Yeah, I did. And the way you find forgiveness is by giving up on forgiveness. Hmm. That's confusing. Can you unpack, <laughs> please unpack that. Yeah. <laughs> so when we try to jump to forgiveness or we try to forgive, and then if we have it as an intention, that's what hmm. we're doing. We're trying to force it. You can't force forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that happens as a byproduct, not a choice, as a byproduct of a healing process. So really, when people are feeling wronged by something, hurt by something, they should drop the concept of forgiveness. They should start focusing on this process of healing. And then it happens. And, and forgiveness, genuine forgiveness is not a choice. I'm going to argue that all day long. Mm -hmm. It is something that, that happens spontaneously, just like awakening, as a result of the steps you're taking. And that day is the best day of your life. Because of the steps you've taken. Forgiveness as a goal in and of itself was something that was propagated Fundamentally, you don't see this concept of forgiveness in the, in the East in the same way here. It's very much a Christian concept, and it's done to try to decrease violence. Mm -hmm. So it's essentially an idea that was put out there as something that you need to do to let go of something so that you don't perpetuate social unrest. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't work. It doesn't <laughs> work for people. Because these deep fe the feelings that are the opposite of resentment, things like hatred, things like resentment, they're natural. They're natural things to feel as a result of being wounded. And if you don't own the fact that that's how you're feeling and deal directly with the way that you're feeling there, all you're doing is a, a bypass. You're lying to yourself that you're in a place that you're not. So, yeah, genuine forgiveness is, I really, I really struggle with this concept, especially in the spiritual field, because it's somewhere everybody wants to get to, <clears throat> mm -hmm. but, but you can't just by deciding to get yeah. there. It's not just a choice. You're like, okay, I forgive nope. you now. It's, it has to come from it has to actually be there, place. and I'm telling you, like, the, the point at which you really forgive somebody, mm -hmm. that point, yeah. mm -hmm. you will never need to say it to someone. Hmm. <laughs> Genuine forgiveness comes with a, there never needs to be a, an amend. I mean, it's, a, it's so far beyond where most people are. Hmm. It's not just I'm letting you off the hook. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or just There's the words, a huge I'm difference sorry. In that. It comes with a relatability yeah. as well. Yeah. Genuinely forgiving somebody. Yeah. There's a powerful relation to the thing that hurt you in that state, which nobody wants mm -hmm. in, in what they're trying to do. When you see people being like, I want to forgive. I'm going to choose to forgive. They're actually choosing superiority, moral superiority. Hmm. <sighs> All right. So that's my little two cents. No, that's... I, I, I would wish... This is my wish. I would wish that people would give up on forgiveness. I would wish that they would take the necessary steps to feel improvement relative to whatever trauma that they've gone through. That means powerfully owning the fact that you hate, looking at what the foundation of hate is, resolving the pain so that you can get yourself into an improved state. And I will tell you, there is no forgiveness unless you're standing in that improved state. And, and the path you can't, of the... You can't be like, oh, I forgive you. Oh, I'm still in hell. Like, yeah. that, that's not going to happen. So to get out of... Can you go back to the hate portion of that? Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that's interesting. So recognizing that you're standing in the hate and understanding it. Yeah. It's part of the process of healing the trauma. Yeah, but if, we, if in society we say it's wrong to hate, people can't even do it. Right. Not only the part of healing, trauma, the healing of trauma is such a messy process. Most people don't want to sign up for it, especially if their ego is attached to these, these concepts of moral righteousness. Mm -hmm. yeah. Whether it's, I'm at peace, or whether it's, I forgive. or whether, I mean, if we're attached to this as, as a fundamental aspect of our identity, 
we're actually in denial of where we are. And what's quite natural is that when you get really, really hurt by somebody, there's violent hatred. There's a desire for them to hurt as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that will arise. It will arise. And by the want me to tell you why it arises, even on a spiritual level, this is interesting. The desire for somebody else to hurt like hell when they've hurt you is a desire to feel connection and relatability again. You're trying to force empathy. Funny, right? Okay. That's... So so it's going to arise. And, the, and our ability to get through that is first dependent on our ability to own that's where we are, which is what I'm like trying to get us as a society to like open the door for for each other. Mm-hmm. Right. It needs to be acceptable for somebody, regardless of how woke they should be, right? To be able to be like, I, I hate them. I hate them. Mm-hmm. Right? Because mm-hmm. th- that's what's real. There's grip to that. And when you get something that's real, you can work with it. Okay. Underneath that, that hatred, underneath all hatred is pain. So what is it that you're afraid of? And what is it that hurts so bad? Right. And what do, how do, what do we do about that? And that doesn't even have to involve the other person. Yeah. Like if, if, the, if the hurt was, I wasn't taken seriously. I've never been taken seriously. We don't even need to involve the other person. Right. We can be like, all right, how do we actually directly make it so you're taken seriously? Mm-hmm. So there's how a do we deeper go, truth. Yes. Mm-hmm. How do we resolve the traumas that you have already accumulated mm-hmm. about not being taken seriously? Mm-hmm. How, how do we accept the fact that yeah. that happened? And accept does not mean approve of. I mean, no, I yeah, accept sure. like, yeah, that happened. I was never taken seriously. And oh, look, I'm basically looking to be taken seriously in my life. And because I'm so desperate for it, I never get taken seriously. And I, you'll cha- you basically change a person's vibrational relationship to that whole concept. And then they're a match to different things. And it's through the experiencing of those different things. We call that healing, right? Healing is to experience the opposite. It's through the experience of those different things that then a person gets to a place where they're like, okay... I have essentially mastered this. Mm -hmm. And then when they turn around and look at the thing that hurt them, you don't even feel the same way. I mean, it's like you're coming at it from a completely different perspective. But to to be like, we need to forgive them. It's like we're we're basically taking somebody and being like, be there, not where you are. That's something really powerful that I also connected to. Like, there's something you talked about, the the spirituality, red pill, the blue pill, right? So there's like this one side of healing where it's like the feel good type of healing where, you know, especially like the spiritual fashion that's happening in the world where, you know, pe- and which is still beautiful. Like they're, they're go- people are going on retreats <laughs> and they're doing, you know, <laughs> the, the kind of work. But then there is. <laughs> you the- like it better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I have different takes on it. But again, I think it's still good that people are doing something yeah okay you know it I mean? makes my life really hard but, okay. <laughs> no, but, but then there's the other type of healing which is the, the truth and awakening and that's yeah. something that's so powerful that you do and and i love it how you even state to people like if you're here to do that stuff i'm not the right teacher for you <laughs> which is amazing which is i think is important for people to know because people have to go with an expectation to what they're achieving but from what you're expressing it's like that if there is a true healing that we're searching for. We have to go down to this truth, yep. to this deep, deep root within ourselves that I find that a lot of people might not even be ready or, or too afraid to look. So they'll they'll go to the other side of just, you know, maybe meditating and doing That's some yoga and, and, you know, yeah, the feel good components of healing. But how... <sighs> I don't even know where my question is. It's just, I'm just making like no, a reference to it, but it's the fact that like, how do we encourage people to do the hard work? 
How do you can you encourage people you to encourage do hard work? If like, they, a lot of people don't even know there's hard work to be done. Well, I think letting them know what's on the other side is always a good idea. It's just like selling any product. Here's a product. This product clears acne, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. almost like I think sometimes we need to sort of lay out for people what it is that they're going to be getting out of doing it, especially if it's something that's not quite pleasant. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, though, <sighs> what is your take on this? feel good spiritual spirituality is a spirituality fashion fashion that's you know coming forward (laughs) i detest it yeah i really detest it um where why because it's so fake if a person's in a genuine moment of joy right like you can you can watch certain yogis and you can you can tell like what they are doing is really I mean, they're in the, they're in it. They're in what life is about. They're in the pure enjoyment element mm-hmm. of life, and they're in health and all of these positive states. But you can also watch somebody else. Let's say there's a lot on social media right now. You can watch a lot of them that are like just posing, and you're like, they're they're literally just thinking about the camera. Like yeah. this is not even what it's about, right? So when anything becomes a fashion, it can become something that's very surface level, and it's not actually genuine or authentic to the person. Mm-hmm. And I'm really struggling with that. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm struggling with it also being and becoming a coping mechanism where it's a, an avoidance strategy that we're using. Yeah. I don't like it when I mean, we could use anything as an avoidance mechanism. Mm-hmm. And spirituality is the great avoidance mechanism right now. And, it, and it's such an easy identity to throw on yourself mm-hmm. um, without having to actually do anything. And I think I, I find I struggle a lot with it as well. Yeah. And we're immersed in that area of our life and surrounded by so many different personalities and identities in it and honestly it's it, it's not frustrating it's really disheartening to see um it becoming and f- fashionable is an interesting thing but it's almost like a band-aid to be like no no i'm good now look at i'm wearing this certain thing and i'm behaving this certain way and i took this certain breathwork class and i did this and this and now everything's great but nothing's actually changed inside or they go back to their life and their reality of if they're out of the retreat and they're back into kind of where they were before. Mm-hmm. Well, that hasn't actually healed. That's the, the yeah, without the heal, that's looking, the ebb and flow yeah. of like the, the fight. Like yeah. I feel like the fight will be there for me for my whole life, mm-hmm. which is like finding the connection, finding the internal and nurturing that which inside me shines and then immersing into the matrix and society and having that sucked away and having to do the work all over again. I think that's a normal process, but I find that, you know, it's almost the ruse of wearing spirituality as the fashion and convincing yourself that 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 fashion is you without actually having gone in yeah. and continuously known that it's not just a pill to take and it's done. It's like, no, no, this is a journey and it's for the rest of your life. And it's not easy and you fall just as much as you rise and you struggle just as much as you smile. But that's the beauty of the duality of consciousness to me. Like it is the idea that it is as ugly as it is beautiful, but those are both just labels we put on both sides. And to accept that our sadness is just that. It's it's okay. It's to be at peace with our sadness and our and mm-hmm. and all of the dark sides of us just as well as the light. Um, and sort of and and to me that as complex as that sounds, directs direct like connects directly to why the spirit fashionable spirituality bothers me so much because it's like it is 
it, it is not accepting the duality. It's just saying everything's great and I just have to do this and this and this and life is perfect. Yeah. Um, and I will emulate that and sell it as a pill to everyone else and make a business on Instagram about it um, through my photos and my courses and my this and my life coaching and all the stuff that everybody's doing. And it dry, it yeah, the more I'm talking about it and vocalizing, the more I realize it drives me crazy because honestly, the most spiritual thing that I think you can do as a person is just fucking work at being a human and sort <laughs> that shit out. <laughs> sort like, that's not out. difficult enough. Yeah, like, yeah, is that difficult? Exactly. Like then everything else is like, so But do I don't you think know. when people embark on that journey of at least trying to look inside just a little bit and if they catch a glimpse of that connection to divinity and to this higher energy that it inspires them? to to ch shift and go down the difficult path. I don't usually watch that happen, no. No. I no, I usually I usually watch when people tap into that they have a promise that they want to maintain 24 hours a day. So they they first will start to go on this hunt where it's like, well, if I just meditate every single morning for three hours, or if I just do this pose, or if I just eat this way then and then it all fails them. And it's they only start to go down towards that darkness when they realize they're not getting out of it. Hmm. So it's usually pain that brings people there instead of the touching of the light that makes mm -hmm. them be like, now I want to take it into the dark. It's, <laughs> it's pain that motivates people. But through that pain, at some point, they have to connect to the light. Well, it's inevitable. This idea yeah. is that it's inevitably going to be happening. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the, here's the idea. The idea is that these things that are sort of in the way, which are causing us pain, they're, they're an item of resistance. So when we resolve that resistance, naturally you're in that state. You don't have to work for it, though. And that's what I'm trying to I'm trying to explain to people that we have these wonderful tools that can sort of put you in the space where you can access some of this stuff. But it shouldn't be something that's hard for us to access. Mm -hmm. So if you're starting to take care of these aspects of yourself that are in front of it, it's not. Mm -hmm. And and that's why you you start to see that like the more awakened that somebody gets. It's like they only use the, the, these sorts of practices in a regimented way when they really feel like they need that medicine. Mm -hmm. The rest of the time, they're just like chop wood, carry water. Because hmm. I can chop wood, carry water in a very different way than you can. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> Because the quality of your life experience, even though main, mundane, is completely transformed into mm -hmm. feeling more like those states. Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing in the way anymore. Hmm. That's beautiful. So... I think we should probably start winding this down because this has been an epic, epic, beautiful conversation. Yeah. Um, My question for you, one last question that I have, because we started talking about divinity and light. Do you believe in God? In, okay, so God in the way that human beings use that word, no. What is um, it to so you? So how do you believe what in God? What is that energy to you? If you took all energy in the universe which is imbued with the quality of consciousness, which is the, the capacity to perceive and also project forth thought. That's even in inanimate objects that you're seeing physically manifested. If you took everything in existence and you looked at the amalgamation of that energy, that is God. <laughs> so it is, it is the consciousness that is the amalgamation of all subjective perspectives that currently exist. And believe me, there's more and more getting created every day. That's God. Have you had that connection experience through all of this interactions that you've had with other beings of different dimensions, like in terms of angels or, or representations of that higher consciousness mm -hmm. you have? Is it beautiful? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, But I, I find that same beauty even when dealing with demons. Really? Yeah. 
then that's really... And do they, do they look... This is something that I would wish like, for all people to tell you the honest truth. I, something that I experience that I wish all people experience is the capacity to perceive this beauty and what most people would call light even in the darkest things. There's a value in everything. And when you start to see the value in that, that goodness that is actually in everything, mm. it's like you're walking the world with much less fear. Hmm. More than that, much less resistance. It's like you're not pushing anything away. Yeah, that understanding leads to some sort of liberation. Yeah. Do you feel like you're liberated? No. <laughs> but you understand the concept? Is it that you can't practice? No, it's a, it's a constant practice. Yeah. It's a constant practice. It's just what I am in the practice of is the integration of everything. Right. That's a tall order. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's big. <laughs> it's, the, it's that when you think you're there, this is the spiritual practice. When you think you're really there and you've really got it, you meet your next rival. Mm. Yeah. That's the journey. Right? You yeah. So it'll, it's one of those things where it's like, Mastered. Oh, there we are again. Yeah. Mastered. Whoa, that's one I didn't even consider. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. So where are you right now with everything? Like, what are you trying to master right now in your path? Reactivity, especially with regards to defensiveness. Mm -hmm. It has come to my attention by virtue of watching myself that I have a tendency because of how much I had to fend for myself as a child. I have a tendency towards defensiveness, which is actually not tolerated in a spiritual teacher. Mm. Now, I spent a long time looking at this, you know, defensiveness in general. I think that especially in the, the sort of woke communities, the expectation that you can back somebody into a corner or in the justice system, that you can back somebody into a corner and expect them to not defend themselves by striking out is cruelty, actually. Mm -hmm. That being said, I get to examine my own relationship to this. And what I find is that people love to write me off because of my defensiveness. Hmm which means that it's something that I would like to deal with with myself. Also, sometimes I notice when I am getting defensive, the person on the other side of the fence is not necessarily an enemy, but I'm behaving like they are. So so do you want to fix this because you feel like it's a character flaw that can make you better or because the result of being less defensive will be make you... It's the result that I'm after. Right. Yeah. So that is that then, therefore, that your teachings could resonate truer to the people that find you defensive? Let me back up. I think it's two things. I, I would like my relation. I would like the people who are the closest to me in my life to not feel as if I recognize them as an enemy. And when I get yeah. super defensive, sometimes that's where it goes. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm wanting the mastery of relationships. Mm. So it's it's the practice of that in my personal life. But when it comes to the greater world, I don't want to teach people how to just not react to things. I don't actually believe in that. Yeah. I don't stand for it. But I care more about people swallowing the things that I need to tell them, you know, than almost anything. I, I need people to consider what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And if, if my tendency towards defensiveness makes people be like, well, if she was wakened, she wouldn't do that. So then I'm like, all right, I got to deal with this then because that's my priority. Mm -hmm. right. But it's not, it's really not simple, especially if like that was the way you survived in childhood, mm -hmm. you know. Of course. I'm coming from a, a very sort of fend for yourself Western cowboy culture where like there is no tolerance for weakness mm -hmm. <laughs> and where strength is defensiveness. Mm -hmm. If if you're the person that can put the gun in the other person's face fast enough, like you're the one that's going to. Right. Mm. 
Yeah, so like coming from that culture, it's a real stretch to be like, what am I going to do with this this moment? (laughs) (laughs) A well thought out response. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, That's fascinating. In this practice of self-awareness and resilience and obviously staying present in your consciousness as much as you can, which is in the space you're in probably the most um, vital uh, attribute that I think you clearly work on the most. What do you do on a perfect morning when you wake up? When I wake up, I make my son breakfast. I'm like a real health freak, right? So the same goes into nutrition for my son. So I make him a breakfast, and then I spend an hour with him, the whole, the people I live with, basically. We all do that. So we will sit down on the couch with him when he's eating breakfast. And right now, we're into watching Great British Bake Off Jr. <laughs> Sometimes we do trivia in the morning. We sort of switch it up. But it's that it's like an hour of quality time with him before he goes to school. And then when he goes to school, it's usually some sort of an exercise regime. And then it's straight into work. Right. I'm using, I mean, I do, some days I do like meditate every day, but right now I'm I'm much more using my deeper, more spiritual practices that you might consider somebody like me to do as a a tool when I need it, you Mm -hmm. know? It's like, okay, I need to understand this concept deeper. I'm going in. Yeah. And then, you know, with me, I can organize my schedule however I want. So like, let's say I need to do that and it's 2 p.m. So I'm doing it at 2 Mm p.m. Yeah. Yep. How do you dive deeper into that? You're just diving contemplation well, it depends on the day it depends what okay. it is sometimes i'm doing breath work sometimes i'm doing what i call display work it's a process that i mm-hmm. um, use a lot sometimes i'm using key conversations that i need to have with certain individuals you know mm-hmm. sometimes i'm using you know this meditation technique or that meditation technique or this sometimes i'm using medicines i mean it's it's almost like whatever comes up mm-hmm. i i pretty much have a, a real good feel for how i need to look at it mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. Or what I need to do to keep myself in balance. And then the data you receive from the process of it allows you to tune. And then create an action that's in alignment with whatever I received, yeah. That's beautiful. That's amazing. My nighttime regime is much more regimented than my morning regime. What is your nighttime regime? That's an odd thing. You don't hear that a lot, actually. Um, I make a real point to try to get myself in the right frequency before I fall asleep because I'm going to wake up on that note. Like, that's the thing. So, like, when in sleep, you're essentially on a spiritual level. We're not talking about the brain right now. But on the spiritual level, you're essentially exiting your body. So when you come back in in the morning, you're landing in the reality where you are, which is why when you how you wake up is a very good indication of where you spent your day because we're acclimatizing to it, right? Over the course of your day, you're like, you may be in high anxiety the whole day, but you're not even really registering it because you're so acclimatized to it. But then you fall asleep. You come back to it and you're like, you know, okay, so how you wake up is an indication of how you went to sleep. And knowing that I like to set myself up with intentions in terms of what I want to be doing when I'm asleep, because my nights are not straightforward. Being somebody who does both lucid dreaming and out-of-body work, I'm I'm either doing that or choosing to dream, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? So I got to decide what I want to do before I fall asleep in the first place. So that's part of the regime. I also do a Japanese face massage. I also have, I'm a supplement freak. I have very expensive pee. So my, <laughs> yeah, my like, I, I do like a whole supplement regime before going before to sleep. Before bed. And well, then I also, like right now, because of where I am right now in my life, um, having a very hard year, I do a, a what went right today, oh, like yeah. journal exercise mm-hmm. before going to sleep. That's beautiful. Is that just to reaffirm the positive aspects yeah. of what you've just walked mm-hmm. through. Yep. Why do you take supplements at night? Because some of them are better at night. Yeah. They just absorb better at nighttime. Yeah. Okay. What do you take? I take a, something that's called night rebuild. 
Um, I also do, uh, oftentimes at nighttime, like I'll do some of my immune boosting stuff, mm-hmm. like vitamin C's and like uh, I have a mixture of elderberry and turmeric and things like that. And also, I, I do primrose oil at nighttime, too. Primrose oil at nighttime is really interesting in the way that it affects dream state. How does it affect uh, the yeah, dream state? Yeah, how does it do that? I notice that taking primrose at nighttime makes it so that when you're interacting with these six-dimensional frequencies and then translating them back to the body, more of them translate in a more intense way. So, like, when you're, when you're out of body, right, you're not in a third-dimensional frequency. So, oftentimes, when you enter back into the body, that jump between... It's like you're, car, you know, using the uh, dial in your car for a radio... The jump between this channel and that channel is too high for a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. So they're not like bringing back a lot of sharp, real images. And primrose oil, I've noticed, actually enhances that. So it's something anyone can take. Yeah, but not, I mean, but it, it's not going to do obviously what becoming conscious is going to do. Yes, it, it is increasing your unconsciousness that makes it so that that jump doesn't really exist right. and that's easier right. to translate. But I, I really like the sharpness of images. So that when I come back at nighttime, especially if I'm engaging with my own thought constructs, which is what, you know, this dreaming that I'm talking about, if I choose to dream, I'm engaging with my own thought constructs. I want it to be as clear as possible because that is me interacting with my subconscious mind. So it's like a great opportunity to figure out where the hell I am in a very real way because my subconscious mind is going to be like, here's your symbol, Teal. Have fun with that one. (laughs) You know? (laughs) All right. I get it. I get it. That's that's fascinating. Actually. We need to start taking supplements at night. I always take supplements in the morning. It's just kind of. I like have a, a lot. Yeah. I take in the morning. Yeah. Too. What do you take in the morning? Oh gosh, so many things. I don't know. So it's changing. It's no, like no, changing I'm, too. I'm so fascinated because I'm the same way. I'm. I take so many supplements. And it's insane. I'm I'm very, t- very I'm expensive pee. Coqut. <laughs> <laughs> expensive pee. I like that. <laughs> oh my more. I have so many. I'm taking CoQ10. I'm doing spirulina and chlorella and kelp and what else? Probiotics in the morning. I have, I'm, I'm trying to go through all my supplements. I'm not joking you. It's like really embarrassing. It's the kind of thing where you like look at you like walk in and you see the counter and you're like, are you really ill or something? That's, Everyone that's, in this room's walked into our no, kitchen. No, yeah. really optimized. Yeah. <laughs> half our suitcase is like. Yeah, literally half our suitcase sometimes yeah. is supplements. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. You're like, what am I doing? I'm going into the, the airport like. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah. No, we take. um. You take it. We take a lot of similar things, actually. Yeah, actually, just a lot like, of that. Yeah. The organic stuff. And, and then also, like, the omega-3s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah omega-3s. Like for... I take M- NMNs as well, which is like a, a cell um, rejuvenating. It sort of reproduces cells and brings your NAD level you up, too. You are to... literally the third person who has told me about this this week. Really, eh? I guess it's a sign. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's getting scary. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of brands. There's like the Alive by Nature and there's True Nigen. Um, and they're both, one of them, I, I got turned on to it from a podcast with David Sinclair. And Have he you talks heard about of David Sinclair. Huh? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, he, he's worth checking out just for, he's about like longevity. So it's, mm-hmm. his whole life is about longevity and not like anti aging kind of stuff. And they've sort of singulated or they've, they've moved in on to this idea that NMNs can boost your NAD levels, which can bring you the vitality that you lose as you age. Mm. Um, and I, you know, it's funny, and this is the problem with taking so many supplements is you don't know what is like, I don't know what is the thing that is actually keeping me feeling the way I feel. Exactly. 
But I do know when I stop taking all of them how I feel. So <laughs> it's kind of like it's an all go because I don't know which ones are what or it's a no go. And then I'm like, oh, I got to get back on the supplements. Um, and that's part of the routine for us is enemas is a big thing. It's cool. They're not cheap, but they, you know, you take it with resveratrol as well because it's sort of the activating molecule for it. Um, and so resveratrol and that. And resveratrol, I find from the studies, there's a lot of really amazing things that it can do from a healing side as well. So Joe um, Rogan and Dr. Sinclair, they had like this whole podcast about it. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and David Sinclair is yeah. a great podcast. Like he yeah. literally oh, podcasts got, yeah, now, all about so. anti-aging. Yeah. And Mark, I just like the vitality aspect. It's, I'm going to get old and die. That's totally fine. But <laughs> what I'd like to do is be as optimized and vital as I can <laughs> yeah. through the process of that. Yeah. So supplementation to us, you know, a lot of people, whenever we talk about supplements on our channel, get really upset. They're like, that's not natural. And yeah. your body gets I mean, what it needs from this from that. people get upset about a lot of things. Yeah, Even but, as, if you talk about detoxification, of like doing a detox, and they're like, your body naturally detoxes. You don't need to. You know what I mean? Like, again, what we were saying before, everyone... Everyone's has their opinion and everyone is, you know. I'm in the middle of a liver cleanse, so. Are you? <laughs> what kind? <laughs> you tell what, I do Andreas Moritz. I absolutely love him to death. So. Oh, that's interesting. Is it like supplements you have to take and have a specific no, diet? Yeah, no, you're, well, I mean, I eat the way I normally do. Most right. people would have to change their diet, but I eat the way that I normally do. But then um, <laughs> you're essentially triggering, intentionally triggering a, a gallstone attack, but having prepared your body in a way where your liver expels everything. Oh, wow. It's so intense. It's like, wow. How long is it? It's a seven-day cleanse, but mm -hmm. then on this, on two of those days, you're also getting like a full-on colon cleanse with it. Wow. And then it, there's one night where you're flushing, and that's a really hard night. <laughs> How do you feel after that? Amazing. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's like I've seen this reverse everything. Wow, right? It's okay. unreal. What is it called again? It's Andreas Moritz, Andreas the Moore. liver flush. Okay. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. That's super interesting. No, like, it's funny when you said that most people would change how they have to eat, but you eat so clean and regimented. We, I find that we do the wild rose cleanse a lot. And whenever we, like, now we get to it, we're like, oh, we it's just eat much, the way we yeah, eat. Like, we change one or two things. But, like, for most people, it's such a drastic thing. Um, but I find whether it's, like, the simplest juice cleanse or whether it's, like, a wild rose cleanse or, you know, there's all kinds of different things we've tried. No matter what it is, that kind of disruption into the physiology of your everyday life, I always tend to come out the other end just being, like, a, like, reset oh, yeah. with a new yeah. relationship to food, a new relationship to my body. And even if it's just based on relationship, I feel like that's such a valuable thing where people should do, let alone like the physiology, like the physical benefits that you get inside. Yeah. Like it's just like understanding that like the things I eat actually equate how I feel. Yeah. Just oh, the simplest thing. Yeah, but isn't thing. it sad that that's where we are in society is it, that we don't get that? It's fucking yeah. crazy, right? Like... It's like, the, you know, what are you going to, how are you going to feel if you Big Macs all day? Like we all, I don't well, know. That's if we, the disconnection I think a lot of people have as well as how their food actually affects yeah. their well-being and not just physically, but also the mental yep, yep. There's state of well being. Yeah. Yeah. That's the number one reason I do it. Yeah. What, what, what was that? The mental oh. well-being, not so even just this the is, physical. This is why yeah. I'm so regimented. I, the amount of pressure that I have to hold in my position on a mental level, there's no way to do that unless you're making your physical body so insanely strong and mm -hmm. you're making yourself so clear with food that you're like a, an okay channel. Mm. Right. That's, yeah. No, I've... Do you think that also the kind of food that you eat, let's just say that if you were to eat the wrong type of food also in, interferes with yes. your connection to energy? Yes. Hmm. Do you think that's... How does it interfere? Like, have you experienced that interruption? Yeah, I mean, it is a vibe. So the way that it really works is that every food you eat vibrates at a certain frequency, and more ingestion of that makes you match to more of that frequency on the outside. Mm -hmm. So I, what I run into on the outside is just just more and more and more of that. Right. Like, really low frequency stuff. And not intentionally. It's not like I'm wanting to go engage with those energies. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, 
in my face. Um, I also, it's, I mean, it's like there, there really is a thing about the, the purity and clarity that happens on the internal body when you're like so clean, you know, that feeling mm-hmm. of being so clean on the inside. And like when you're eating this way where you're eating normally how most people would eat on a cleanse, you're maintaining that clarity. And it's actually a lot easier to separate your own emotions from, mm-hmm. you know, the other person's emotions or your own perspective from the objective perspective. It's like that clarity carries out to, to the clarity with everything that mm-hmm. you're seeing and doing and hearing and th- yeah that's amazing do you th- what would you say your diet is like do you Me? if someone asks you how do you, what's your diet i'm totally vegan lectin free which includes all all of these like basically all the grains except for millet um i don't do any sugar no processed foods and then there are a few foods that i avoid just because of you know, sensitivities to them. Things like the capsicum family I have issues with, like mm-hmm. some of them, except for red peppers, for example, mm. be preparing them specific ways. Yeah. Hmm. It's really obnoxious how much time goes into them, but I love them. Um, <laughs> I'm not doing basil right now. Why? Because of sensitivity to basil. Really? Yeah. But I love it. I mean, it's amazing, but I'm not eating it. I love basil. Yeah, um, some fruits I won't eat because of the insane sugar content. Right. Yeah. Do you right. drink coffee? Nope. But tea? green tea? Green tea. Green tea. Mm-hmm. I love tea. Mm-hmm. My house, I could basically run a tea shop out of my house. <laughs> it's so typical. That's so cool. What about your son? Is he vegan too? Yeah. And so with my son, it, my relationship to this has been interesting because as a parent, it's like I want him, especially with my views on health, I want him to be in such an optimal space of health at the same time. I want him to have some choice, right? Mm-hmm. So he's always been vegetarian. He's been raised vegetarian, but he has not chosen to go the full vegan route in part because of he spent time with his father who's not fully vegan. Mm-hmm. But it's like he hasn't arrived at the place yet, you know, where he's essentially chosen that himself. And mm-hmm. it, like for me, that's an important step for him, not to just be like, yeah, yeah. especially because, I mean, for a kid his his age, it's like there's a lot of, I don't want him to be in that position where he's not really choosing it, where it's like, oh, mom said I can't have this, but I'm in school with all these kids that are having this. Mm-hmm. So the way that I've worked it is, look, you get to choose what you want to do. I'm going to teach you what I need to teach you about health and and let you see what it feels like when you eat these foods versus when you don't eat these foods. So he actually moderates himself. Which has been, it's actually worked so far because he like loves chocolate more than anything. <laughs> But he keeps it in his room and he he will wake up in the morning and when he comes down for his breakfast, he breaks off two little pieces of chocolate and he essentially regulates himself. That's amazing. I don't have to do anything. And you got him to there by teaching him self-awareness of how it makes him feel? Yeah. Wow. I I taught him how the food makes him feel and I I basically taught him Mm -hmm. about food. Connection. Yeah. And and now he's like, okay, I'm going to do this because Mm -hmm. the emotional experience matters more. Like I'm going to eat pizza with my class because it matters more for me to be sort of part of that. But then he's like, oh, I need to eat a salad too. I'm already watching him kind of, you know, do Mm -hmm. that, which is what I want. I want him to sort of arrive at that himself. But when I'm making food for him, you know, his breakfasts are ridiculous. (laughs) What what does he usually eat for breakfast? Like what do you usually make? So I change, variability is something that matters a lot to me for his Mm -hmm. food. So I'm always switching it up, but, and we're cooking together a lot now. So sometimes it's like whatever he decided that he wanted to make Mm -hmm. the night before with me for, for his food in the morning. But I'll do a lot of like raw vegetables, raw fruits, you know, like a, like we'll make bread sometimes. And then he'll have like a piece of bread with like tahini on the top. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I, he always has tea every morning. Wow. Every single morning he does like an, usually like a, a white tea or something like mm. that. 
he's trying all the different flavors and that's amazing but when he was little like and wasn't able to yet make his own choices i made all of the baby food myself and was a complete freak about it (laughs) but you were more on the vegan side or did you already introduce yeah Yeah. and then it was more kind of as he as he grew up he could make his own choice well he well that and i mean with his dad his dad eats vegetarian so that's what he was always eating over there Mm -hmm. i'm very very careful to never put him in the position where he has to choose between daddy and mommy Mm -hmm. so it's literally like this, you know, you get to experience both of our households and mm-hmm. decide for yourself. So, yeah, yeah he's, he's it's been really an interesting exercise, I can tell you that. But I was a freak when he was little with his food. <laughs> like, I, I breastfed him for two and a half years. Yeah. Surprised I still have boobs anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, I, I made all of his baby food you know, from scratch by hand. But something that's interesting is... You know, children develop the, these receptors, taste receptors for the food that's that they're naturally exposed to, which is why you've got like little Indian kids are like loving those Indian flavors because mm-hmm. they get it and that's what they have the association with. And so when he was younger, being a complete obsessed food freak, I was like, I want to make this child's palate as large as possible. Right. So I started when he was younger feeding him. I mean, all kinds of stuff like from everywhere all <laughs> around the globe and trying to make it so that he had. These mm-hmm. these taste receptors for everything, and it worked. This is the easiest child to feed on Earth. That's amazing. Guess what his favorite food is? Seaweed. Seaweed. No way. I don't even like seaweed. It's his favorite. <laughs> it's his wow. favorite. Wow. That's that's incredible. Yeah. It, I think we've been sort of practicing the same kind of yeah. idea for the taste palate, thinking if we get him into all of this from a very young age. Um, it works. And yeah, and it, honestly, at this point, like the stuff that he like. Xavier uh, needs he, Yeah, he loves quinoas and hummuses yep. and yep. tahinis and. Broccoli. Uh, yep. his, his first exactly, wo- broccoli. He, yeah. My son loves broccoli. Yeah. Yeah. It works. I swear it works. Yeah. Xavier's first word was avocado. Oh, Are you kidding me? Obsessed with he's avocado. Obsessed. Oh my god, you guys, that is so cliche. He literally <laughs> used to not actually. Re- he'd refuse to eat his dinner unless there was avocado. At first, he would say avocado. Yeah, avocado. And then was his avocado. Word. Yeah, it took a while for him to get the dough. Probably yeah. four months. It was avocado. But now it's that was avocado like, was everywhere. But like he wouldn't eat his food. It was just like, yeah. and in fact, if he saw us eating eating an avocado on our plate and he didn't have one, he would just go into protest mode and or sometimes you'll see something green that's not even avocado but you think it's avocado and he'll just be like <laughs> avocado avocado and he was like it's that so was cute. the only thing but yeah. yeah it's interesting like when you from an early age we've also tried just giving him as much variety yeah. as yeah. possible and, and different ethnic food i mean we try to be cautious of the spiciness obviously yeah. with like if you give him some indian food but um yeah. we do the same thing with yeah. travel too as yeah. soon as he was born we're like let's start traveling just because we wanted him to be a baby that could travel so it's like let's put that into his 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 sphere of awareness that this is you know to some degree now it's like i mean how do you even make jokes it's like this boy doesn't even understand like what a, a sense of a home because we just have new homes because every time. all the time it's <laughs> every month but he loves it he loves to explore the new the new home he comes in, he explores it all. It's like, great. It's like, oh, this is where we live now. And it's so, I don't know, we just really tried to throw the whole paradigm of like everyone that told us like, you can't travel once you have a baby. We're like, oh yeah, watch us. Let's give this a shot. And we'll figure it out on our own. Maybe we can't. We don't know. Moments that are harder, but it's okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. It works, but yeah, it's always just making your own rules and making your own way that you want to raise your child. Mm -hmm. That's amazing that to see that It's so cool to hear about your your conscious parenting. aspect to it I think that's like Mm -hmm. it you know there's a lot of people with kids that watch what we do and you know we ask them a lot what to do but I think it's also great for them to hear from someone like yourself Mm -hmm. just like you can do it your own way like we can all figure this out like for what is best for each of our kids Mm -hmm. and and just to be conscious about it like 
that's, I don't know. There's so many things they read a book and they're like, this is what I do. It's a manual. It's like, no. Don't. There's no manual for children. There's no manual. <laughs> oh, God, right? Uh, oh, my goodness. Anyways, uh, this has been amazing, Teal. Yeah, Thank you so much for, for this incredible deep conversation. And, you know, if there was any way that people could continue to follow you and, and, and dive deeper into your work, where would be the best place for them to go? I think the best place is my website itself. It's just, if you remember my name, tealswan.com. Mm -hmm. I've got everything there. And whatever we're doing that's like the new thing is usually on our front page. So. Mm -hmm. Amazing. But it's a really, really deep website. You can explore for ages. Well, because okay. you've done a lot Yeah, you have a lot of material work. out there. It's been a lot of years yeah. I'm at this. Yes. Yeah, no, it's amazing. No, it's amazing. It, it, and I, yeah, I hope that people can go check it out because I find that you offer a different path for many different people. Yeah. And I think it's important for people just to see what's out there and, and choose See if it's them. right for them. Yeah, but it's it's beautiful. So mm -hmm. so thank you. Thank you for doing what you do for the world. And it's it's yeah. been an honor to thank be you with so you today. Oh my God. <laughs> it's been an honor for me too. Yeah. Amazing. Oh. And that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed this incredible episode with Teal. It's an honor to be connected to someone like her. Check out her work. Yes. What she's doing is extremely important. We'll include all the links in the show notes here and in the description of this video. So please go ahead and, and take your time and really dive into her powerful, powerful mission here on Earth. And of course, if you want to support Stars and Destruct, we would appreciate it if you want to click that follow button, subscribe button, maybe give us a review. <laughs> or share this episode with anyone who you think can benefit from it. That's the best thing we can do for good conversations is keep the good conversations going. All of our love to you. We'll see you in the next episode.